1: Alright, what is up Gypsy Gang? We are back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales Podcast. Uh, today is a little bit different though. Um, today's podcast is solely focused on jujitsu and grappling. Um, if you're an avid listener of the podcast, you know that I have fallen headfirst deep into the grappling world, um, going in a couple comps and doing that whole deal, which has been something i just didn't really expect but i'm just loving it uh so with the grappling industries tournament in brisbane this weekend so it's going to be on sunday if anyone wants to look that up we mentioned in the podcast uh i decided to invite ben hodgkinson in for a chat uh i also got one of my good mates through uh my new jiu-jitsu journey shane young he's a purple belt at Gaylor Brothers where I train. Uh, so I got him to come and sit in on this one as well because he is uh, he's a resource for me. He's kind of one of the guys at Gaylor Brothers that I go to when I have questions about jiu-jitsu. Um, so I just wanted him to sit in on this one as well. Um, yeah, so it was really cool. We spoke about a lot of different stuff within, I guess, the grappling world at the moment. Um, some of the different tournaments and competitions and rule sets and, and things that are going on, as well as uh, a lot of stuff about grappling industries itself, which um, Ben is heavily involved in. So this might not be for everybody. I'm probably going to start doing a little bit more of this grappling stuff as like different people roll through Brizzy. So it'll be like I guess its own little special brand of Gypsy Tales for. The people that are interested in this world. Um, if you don't know anything about Jiu-Jitsu, I think we still try and kind of cover or bring it back to like relatable terms, I guess, um, before we kind of dive too deep into it. So if it's something that you're interested in, you've maybe watched the UFC before, um, kind of aware of like the basic arm, arm bar, guillotine triangle, kind of rear naked choke stuff that I guess even um, casual UFC fans know then um yeah this could kind of just be a little gateway into diving a little bit deeper but yeah it was a great chat we uh, got through a couple of hours with ben he's a bit crook uh which is always hard when you're basically being forced to talk for the majority of two hours but handled it like an absolute legend and I was stoked that he was able to make the time. Uh, I'll be going to the Grappling Industries event tomorrow. So if anyone listens to this and wants to catch up, just uh, slide into the DMs at Gypsy tales Podcast on Instagram. This grappling edition of the podcast is brought to you by my homies at Author Supply Co. You can hit them up on Instagram at Author Supply Co. Uh, they're making some really rad rashies and geese uh, and just like kind of general. Um, grappling apparel I went and hung out with the boys the other night and they're absolute legends so they are helping us bring this uh, grappling podcast to life so shout out to those boys go give them a check on the gram all right no more talking we will get into the first I guess edition chapter of the uh, jiu-jitsu grappling gypsy tales podcast that we don't yet have a name for check 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 There it (laughs) is. Righto, boys, we're doing the the first Gypsy Tales grappling podcast. I don't know what we're calling it yet. I, uh... My homeboy, the boy. Gypsy
0: Tales experience.
1: Yeah, I'm steering clear of that. I even tried for a long time. I was uh, trying to stay clear of just talking about jiu-jitsu because yeah.
0: Do you have a Do you have intro music? Do you We got nothing.
1: Nah, nothing. We don't
0: have a train by day, Gypsy Tales podcast by <laughs> night.
1: Yeah, I wish. all day, Roll by day. Um, so yeah, Ben Hodgkinson, uh, the leader of the grappling industries, phenom, uh, and then I've got to my left one of my mentors. On my jiu-jitsu experience, my road to becoming decent <laughs> Shane Young. So we're here. We're going to talk guys. about talk about some grappling kind of stuff. Um, and there's a pretty cool story that that Ben's got as a guy that um, had zero business experience, zero like, I guess, real any experience when it came to like yeah, running I, events I knew, and I shit. I knew
0: Nothing about running running tournaments when I when I got started. So um. Basically like uh, I was just saying before, I, I don't run all of the grappling industries events. I just I'm the director for Australia yep. and uh, and the UK now. But um my my friend David Aguzi, who's the uh, people in the jiu-jitsu community might be aware of him already. He's a, he's a, a a genius when it comes to business. Like he, he started all off in Canada and then uh, as he was expanding to Australia, that's how I got involved.
1: so you'll you'll have to excuse ben he's been under the weather so yeah so
0: apologies to everyone listening at home i've had a had a cold the whole last couple weeks so my voice is a bit gone so i'll uh, I'll do my
1: best just turn your mic up and it works fine um so what gave you i guess for people that are just like i guess traditional gypsy tail listeners and aren't into like the grappling side of things um can you explain what your tournament is in a way, I guess, and what like how it's different, what was the void you guys were trying to fill um by actually just creating it in general.
0: Sure. Um do I need to explain what jiu jitsu is first or do people can't already You don't know ju-
1: what jiu jitsu is fucking stop listening. Yeah, turn it off now. Nah. No nah. nah, actually keep here. listening because we, 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 we need do, you. yeah, we need more people. <laughs> but yeah, I guess like yeah, submission wrestling, like what I guess explain the event and So yeah.
0: I've, I've been doing jiu-jitsu since I was uh fourteen. And um, in Australia, especially, probably probably everywhere has the similar sort of story. But in Australia, especially, uh, when I was coming up, there was sort of very limited tournaments. Like uh, there was the AFPJJ who, who have been doing a great great job for a long time, but they were kind of the only players on the scene, and they had a real monopoly of, of like there was Pam Packs, there was like a state titles in each state, and uh, you know maybe if you were lucky, you'd get a few different comps a year but um it was pretty limited like that and the different kinds of competitions like they were all pretty similar in format so uh the the idea behind grappling industries is is just to be a little more different um answer some of the uh sort of feedback that a lot of people give on the traditional style of comps like um trying to trying to give people more value for their money so the, the the main difference is that we have is we do the the round robin style tournament whereas usually in a jiu-jitsu event you go you have one match if you lose that's it you're done for the day mm. you know so um with our with our events you know you come out uh, we try and give everyone at least four matches uh, and then that's per division so if you if you do a few divisions in a day you can have you know 15, 15 fights in one event so we try and give everyone as much as much uh, experience on the mat as they can for the for the event
1: yeah so uh, there's a I guess there's, like, a lot of, um, I guess, debate going on at the moment. I'm not debate, but, like, people are doing different types of events. It's almost like jiu-jitsu is in this, or grappling is in this stage of, like, what's the best format? What's the most exciting way to do it? And I think, like, the big problem for me with when I show people jiu-jitsu that don't know... Or, like, you know, kind of can't see positions and things. Like, obviously, the UFC did a pretty good job. Like, a lot of people, like, oh, that's an armbar, that's a triangle. Mm -hmm. But it's like a lot of the, you know, like guard passing and, and I guess like some of the more technical stuff, it's really hard for people to see. There's
0: there's a lot, there's a lot of bits, a lot of parts of jujitsu that don't make a lot of sense if it's your first time seeing it. Um, and like the, like you said, there is a lot of debate over like the the different rule sets and like sub only versus uh, the traditional point style of martial arts. And, um, you know you there's there's problems to both like you can like the the argument being uh, if you're if you're doing a match with points you know you can get a guy who's got one move he's really good at getting points for that move and then he can do that get the points and then stall out for the entire match and just mm-hmm. just win that way which is you know that's one strategy but it's kind of boring and it's not that exciting to watch so that's where the whole sub only movement sort of started coming from but um I I, I don't know I, I see I see both sides of it I think sub only you can have just as boring matches. There's people that, especially, it depends on the rules because if it's no time limit, sub only, you, you can sort of pace yourself for the first hour or whatever, and then then yeah. turn it up and start trying to drown your opponent in the the deeper water, like uh, make it more of a stamina thing, and that's not really exciting to watch. Uh, if it's EBI, you can sort of stall out because you know at the end you're going you to get, get to overtime. start on the guy's back, stuff like that. So it all comes down to strategy and there's, you know, I think boring fighters are always gonna be boring no matter what the rule set. And I think where that's gonna change and where you're gonna start getting more exciting matches is there's more of a movement of like professional grappling events at Mm. the moment. So you got like, uh, Metamorris is a terrible example because they don't pay people, but you got like uh, Polaris and you got EBI, you got BOA, you got all these events starting to come up, which is uh, they're not making their money from people paying to compete, which is the traditional model of, like, a IBJJF or most tournaments, the competitors will pay 100 bucks or whatever for the chance to compete. Whereas these events, it's more spectators. Mm. So the spectators are paying to watch, which is... Uh, it, it means that the matches have to be watchable. Mm. So that's where I think you're going to see uh, less and less boring fighters because they're not going to get invited to these events. Yeah, that makes
2: sense. Does Grappling Industries have like a point system attached to it as well?
0: Yeah, so the rule set we use, uh, we've fiddled around with it. We started off traditional points, then we did some sub-only ones. Um, The the point set that we arrived at is we use uh, points, but no advantages. So uh, your your standard, for people that are familiar with Jiu-Jitsu, is like take down two points. So you you get rewarded for controlling your opponent Mm -hmm. and uh, being dominant in the position which is important that's a big part of jiu-jitsu but there's no advantages which is kind of like the gray area very subjective it's up to the ref if he wants to award it or not we try and get rid of as much as that as we can and keep it nice and simple and we also uh expand a lot of the the legal submissions for for lower belts and stuff and a lot of things that traditionally weren't allowed in jiu-jitsu we've tried to make that uh make that more more uh more allowed
1: Yeah, I think people don't, I mean, I like, dude, I straight up, like, when I, um, (coughs) when I walked into, no, you're good, it's all good, mate, really, yeah, Rubik's Cube, (laughs) you're done now, (laughs) Uh, the rest of the podcast will be spent with you fucking headphones, headphones (laughs) nah, it's all good, um, I mean, even for me, like, I kind of knew that jujitsu comps were a thing before I walked into the gym, just through my friend Judd, um, and his kid Axel, but I really didn't understand, like, how it would work. So, like, yeah. I mean, my only, I guess, knowledge of jiu-jitsu was, like, through the UFC kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, cool. So it's just, like, it's just submission. So you just have to tap that person out um, to win the match. But there is, like, a whole, uh, I guess, a breakdown of positions of control that are awarded certain points. Um, so, like, if you are passing... Um, people's guard and then getting into those positions as points so uh i just had no idea that 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 kind of existed but from just getting into jiu-jitsu over the last few months then it's like this there is like a whole world there that kind of it's like a, a real counterculture but then the more i started looking into it yeah i think that jiu-jitsu and grappling is like this is probably the most exciting time in its history in terms of the people running the events and even like the competitors that are kind of making a run like uh you know we've got craig jones we've got guys like yourself that compete on the world world stage yeah Yeah. so it's like now man it's for me i'm like fuck this is a super exciting time to really dive deep into jiu-jitsu and grappling because there's so many people that yeah that are starting to really get into it
0: yeah, I think there's um, more attention on it. Sorry, there's more attention on it than ever because of uh, things like MMA blowing up, and uh, these these professional grappling events like EBI, which have like probably more appeal to MMA fans because mm. it's easier to understand. And um, I think more and more people are crossing that boundary of like when you first look at Jitsu and there's two dudes rolling around on the floor and it doesn't make a lot of sense. I think like. It, at first it doesn't, but it doesn't take long to understand what's yeah. going on. Like if, if you have a guy who's never seen jiu-jitsu before and he watches uh, a whole EBI start to finish, I think by the end of that event he, he yeah. kind of understands what they're trying to do. Like, oh, that guy's on his back, but he's not necessarily losing because he's using this and he's trying to get a submission or he's trying to do this. And just like there's more people, there's more attention on it. Um, and, yeah, because, because there's starting to be a demand for it and starting to be money uh, – handed out for, for competitors and it's starting to become a, a real, real professional sport. Now there's real athletes and that's all they do is, uh, is compete. And it, that was never a thing before. Like even, even if you were a world champion sort of thing, you, you're not getting paid to win worlds. You mm. can maybe get sponsors that can help and you can maybe use that, uh, notor- notoriety that you got from winning whatever competition and use that to open a gym and make money that way. But it's not like, uh, you know, not like playing football or something where if you're, if you're at that top level, you're, you're set sort of thing. So, but I think we're getting more in that direction where there's, there's, a, there's more demand for it. People are starting to understand what it is a little more and, uh, and yeah, it's becoming becoming a professional sport.
1: Well, you're a good example because you're a dude that you don't really follow any other sport. Like, it's you're, like, full jiu-jitsu and then you watch MMA. Yeah. So, I mean, for you now, like, as a fan, you actually not a f- just as a fan it's kind of reducing you down a little bit <laughs> it's true I'm <laughs> um, a fan but you know like on, from your end though it's like you are a, like hardcore jujitsu dude and now you have like an entire scene to follow which kind of wasn't really there years yeah. ago
2: yeah I think and I think these days you're seeing a lot more grapplers calling each other out you know what I mean like a lot more shit talking these days you know like you got your Gordon who's calling out everyone now yeah and and all that as well
0: yeah, well, it's exactly the same. Like uh, theory is like in in MMA. You know, if if you want to compete and you're not getting the call, like a good way to get more attention on yourself is to to start some controversy, say something yeah. that you know people are going to pay attention to. So yeah. that's that's starting to happen. But um, like you you need to back that up. You need to be exciting. On the mats as well, and like there's a there's a few guys that are sort of you know in MMA and Jiu-Jitsu that sort of talk talk shit, but then they mm. don't back it up, and they're boring fighters, so. You know, you need, to, you need to have both. You need to
2: talk the talk and walk the walk. Where traditionally, like, jiu-jitsu is such a respectful sport. Like, no yeah. one would call each other oh, out. Yeah. But now it's just... That's. I think that's why it works city, so right?
0: well in jiu-jitsu. Because you can say anything and the Brazilians get so offensive. They're very, sensi- <laughs> they're very, they're they're very they're sensitive. Offended, sorry. They're very sensitive people. In a good way. In a good way. Yeah. Yeah. You
1: know the, the crazy thing for me, though? Like, they're very watch- respectful. Mm. Watching it on the outside, though. like Gordon Ryan's a perfect example. And, like, AJ Agnes, I'm like, they're just fucking talking so much shit <laughs> yeah. but like for me it's kind of frustrating because like in in MMA I think, I think
0: Gordon's a good example of someone who talks the talk and backs it he up does, he's very exciting yeah. to watch 100%. AG I think talks a lot of shit and calls people out and gets supervised that way but man trying to watch him I I I, I wouldn't go out of my way to watch a Gordon match not as exciting like as, as Gordon it, I mean not Gordon sorry an AG match like yep. if someone told me oh man Gordon's fighting so and so on the weekend I'd be like yep cool I'm gonna try and tune in and watch that but uh, you know the other guys not so much
1: the, the thing, though, that I find, like... Is it weird that the guys can't actually, like, hit each other? Because, for me, it's like... Like, say you're talking shit against Dean Lister. Yeah. Like, if if you're a fucking AJ and you've got to go and into the actual octagon with, like, Dean Lister, mm. he wouldn't be talking any shit at all. And, like, their match was pretty pretty yeah. fucking heated and pretty physical yeah but it's like I feel like jiu uh, almost every allows one of AJ's
0: matches is physical
2: to get slapped <laughs> every time he goes slapped. out there I, I think AJ needs to go in that Um, what's that slapping sort of EBI uh, jiu-jitsu the col- combat jiu-jitsu? Yeah, yeah he needs to enter into something like that I mean i heard I think he's transitioning does over he he just gets slapped anyway that's so true. he can just keep doing <laughs> regular jiu-jitsu but maybe
1: that's why he's hanging out with the Diaz brothers so much because he's so good at getting slapped <laughs> well I think he's <laughs> transitioning over to MMA yeah, I'm not too sure but I think from what I can tell on social media but, like, just to... I guess there is, like, a false sense of security in a way for some of these dudes because they are protected by a rule set. Yeah. And it's, like... Yeah, if it's... If, like, like, let's chuck AJ and Dean Lister in the cage. That same shit, oh, I just yeah, can't I see him talking it because it's, like, Dean Lister would just fuck him up and, like, in every single way. Yeah. Obviously, they're both, like, amazing jujitsu jitsu practitioners. Yeah. But it's, like, to me, I, I don't know if I like... The shit talking element of no, it you can you can tell GT. you
0: can tell when it's real you can tell when someone's just calling out you know you know that's bullshit and fuck you for saying it sort of thing and then you can tell when there's someone just it's saying like it real to sort hatred. of yeah saying it to sort of promote the match and then they're only saying it because they know it's not a real fight it's it's not it's not real it's not real like mm. uh, beef it's yeah. like just trying to Trying to make it seem like there's there's uh more beef there, and that's when he sort of goes in there and acts surprised that someone's tape kicking him off the stage. <laughs> yeah, it's like dude, well you can't say all that stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah that's what I mean. It's like the rules. Some set of these people only... keep it real.
0: You don't, but some of them do. Yeah,
1: and some of these like people are not gonna give a fuck about the rule set. Yeah. in the same you know so it's like you sort of can't hide behind it as much but I mean dude you've been in some crazy fucking Twitter beef over the last couple of, well I guess on the last Twitter, week only Facebook and Instagram we too
0: um, so for those that, uh, that didn't see I had a match recently on the uh, or actually I was in the Boa Super 8 which yep. was an 8 man tournament uh, myself, Craig Jones, DJ Jackson, who won the whole thing, a bunch of other uh, local talented guys, and, and also international guys, so I was uh, lucky enough to be involved in that, and uh, I won my first match with a guy called James Brasco, who's a very accomplished wrestler, he's, he's fought in ADCC a few times, um, he's beat some really good guys, but his style is very sort of one-dimensional, um, he doesn't... Like, he's beat some really good jiu-jitsu guys, but he doesn't do it by doing jiu-jitsu sort of thing. It's that anti-grappling, mm. like, get a takedown and then hug the legs and do absolutely nothing and, and make sure they can't do anything to you, but you're not doing anything to them, and you've got that two points on the board from the takedown, so you know you're going to win if, if you run down the clock. So I had a match with him, and um, I, I won. Uh, basically, that that exactly what I just said happened. He I was stupid enough to... He got, he got a takedown on me. Uh, so he was up the two points but then he did nothing the whole time and just racked up penalties and ended up losing that way because he got, uh, if you're stalling and being uh, inactive in a match especially like that, like what I was just saying in a, in a spectator match where you need to be, you need the viewers to watch otherwise the whole event doesn't work if you're boring, if you've got a dude just sitting there and hugging legs for 10 minutes then no one cares, no one wants to see that so they, they were being very very uh, giving out a lot of penalties for, for inactivity so he racked up uh, I think three or four penalties, and because of that, I won the match. So he was not he went, he went not in. happy about that. So so he, yeah. in, in the, the bowl, do, do
2: you have to start on the feet and and work for a takeout yeah, or keep so guard?
0: It's ADCC rules. Okay. So um,
2: I'll just explain
0: quickly what that means. It's like there's points, but they do this weird thing where the first five minutes there's no points, and then it's halfway through the match. So it's a ten minute match, and halfway through that's when the points come in. So there's points and there's also uh, negative points for pulling guard. So it's, it's, uh, it's giving the advantage to the wrestler in that second five minutes. You, you, you're not supposed to pull guard. You're supposed to try and be aggressive, get the takedown. Yeah. So my strategy going to, into that as like a guy who, who's at a disadvantage against a, a pure wrestler like Brasco was to get to guard and, and use the, use my guard in the first five minutes. And that was going quite well. Um, I got to my guard and I actually had uh, a Kimura locked on him, which uh, I, I almost got out at one point. But he's, he's a very strong guy. And uh, I sort of, I, I don't want to say let because I didn't i did not not try and finish him. But when I felt that his defense was there, I sort of brought it back and opted to just keep the lock and mm-hmm. maybe try again in a minute rather than to bust my whole load trying to get that one yeah. and, uh, and maybe lose it. But what I didn't take into account was that I was right at the edge of the mat. And that was right, that was like 10 seconds after the, the points had come on. So it was five minutes, I had the Kimura, and then we sort of settled back down. I still had it locked, and I was going to sort of wait until he got comfortable and tried again. But then we got restarted in the center and stood back up. Oh, mm. no Kimura Because anymore. usually ADCC rules, you restart in the same position. So I was thinking that I'd still have the Kimura and still keep working for that. Mm. But... Uh, they had actually said this in the rules meeting beforehand. I just forgot because it was on a stage, because they didn't want to reset in submissions like that. Uh, what they were doing at this event, if you went out of bounds, no matter what the position was just restart on the feet, which going against a wrestler guy is a huge disadvantage uh, for me. So that's how I ended up getting taken
2: down. And how tall have you been just out of curiosity? Uh, six foot four. And how, how tall was he roughly?
0: Uh, I didn't measure him, but shorter. <laughs> shorter, <laughs> shorter being a wrestler. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, like this much toilet yeah, okay. sure. so yeah. he had a wrestling advantage straight away basically
0: yeah well i knew i knew it like it's that sort of event where you you know there's only a limited amount of people um that you might come up against you can sort of do a little bit of homework and, and see what styles all the other guys play like craig i train with dj i've trained with a lot before so i know his uh style philippe who was in it i've i've trained with him before so i know mm-hmm. what he does and stuff, and I had a little quick Google of Brasco when I found out I was fighting him, and saw that you know his, his his game is mostly entirely only wrestling. But yeah, that that blew up a little bit afterwards. He was he was complaining, he was complaining about everything, so complaining is- about the refs, complaining about the draw, complaining about the event, the organizers just blaming all of Australia for losing basically. But um, I had a lot of people reach out to me after that, like talking about the guys, like sharing their uh their experiences with him and and very similar stories like he's just one of those guys where it is never his fault, you know, always looking for a reason like trying to blame something else. Mm. He was before the before the entire fight even started, he was complaining about the draws. The the whole draw was done totally at random uh, by a computer. So uh, fucking
1: Russians, bro. <laughs> That's for sure what happened. Russians. Russians hacked that shit.
0: Yeah. No, it was Australian hackers. <laughs> Australia Australia's out to get him. The other thing is he, he <laughs> when he arrived in Australia, his luggage didn't come through or something. I'm not sure. So he kept talking about that and blaming like us for that. I guess I'm not sure. It he, he, he was just really salty. And um, but it started me, off me like being kind a bit of, of a bit of a cheeky guy. I sort of wound him up a little bit more on on social media and stuff. Tried to try to get him get him going off. But it started it like funny.
1: kind of cordial. <laughs> Like, he was pretty decent at the start, right? He kind of made, like, a bit of a pose being, like... Uh, saying, like, oh, you know, full respect to Ben, blah, blah, blah. And then, yeah. like... Then it just, like, got worse. It was, like, a Trump fucking rant where it just, like, progressively just got more and more heated. Yeah. And then it just... And then he just got to the point where he just looked so ridiculous. And was, like, ah, oh, all your credibility's gone now. Like, what you... Like... Yeah. There's, n- there's nothing left now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess at the start you were saying, like, it's not your fault, but I got fucked over. I should have won. I, this, you know, this was bullshit. This was bullshit. This was bullshit. And then I made a post saying, well, I don't really think it's bullshit, man. You went to a spectator event and, like, played the most boring game ever and you're mad that you got penalized for it. Like, of course that's going to happen. And then he was like, Rah! first I was, I had nothing against you. Now it's personal. I hate you. But I, he's actually messing me, Like. like there's no real beef there. He's, he's all right. I think he's just not the most mentally strong. You know, he needs to, needs to have that. Needs a crutch not, to yeah, lean on. He, he doesn't want to go home and tell all his friends, you know, yeah, I, I got beaten. He wants to go home and say, man, I got fucked over this, this yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah.
1: But then like, what's crazy is when, um, did when see, Craig um, lost to DJ. Yeah. or TJ, DJ? DJ? DJ. DJ. He, um... He basically <laughs> was just like, hey, yeah, nah, I fucking lost. Like, yeah, this is the thing. And it was, like, such a cool, gracious thing. And it's, mm-hmm. like, around the exact same fucking thing you have yeah, the opposite dude Yeah, because we all know what we're
0: doing. We all know the game we're playing. And we all know, like... Craig knows DJ's game. Craig knows DJ is, like, very... Like, he's almost unbeatable in that lane that he stays in. Like, takedown, pass, Kimura. He's... um monster at that like very very few people can take him outside of that it's very hard to sweep so short he's hard to get underneath you can't take him down stocky strong and and like and he's really good on top of that so of course of course uh, of course he's a monster and and Craig knows that going in and DJ knows Craig's game DJ knows Craig's like amazing with the heel hooks knows that he's a submission guy he's got to be real careful he's not going to take any super like to take a lot of dangerous risks trying to pass or he might he might get a pass but he might overcommit and let craig get on one of his legs that's going to be a bad move so it's all strategy and everyone goes out and just does the best they can and plays their game and sometimes it goes your way and sometimes it doesn't but you know it really shows afterwards when
2: like just how people handle the loss Mm. did you watch that match between dj and craig
0: yeah, I was I was, uh, I was in DJ's corner. Oh, really? Yelling
2: out "F you, Craig," because oh, Craig beat it. me in the round before that. I think we all saw the t shirt that you were wearing, I should say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, What's well, the whole "fuck Craig Jones" thing Craig going Jones. around. Yeah, yeah um,
0: that's been going a while. It's cool. <laughs> that, that was a thing before Craig even got famous.
1: What? How did that start?
0: I can't remember. I think there was like a, a purple belt uh, training. I actually, yeah, I know who it was. Shout out to Aaron Peterson. I'm sure he's out there listening somewhere, but um, yeah, he used to. He, he just started off as a hashtag, because he, Craig is is always been always been a beast. Like uh, it, he came over to Melbourne at Purple Belt, I think, started training with us, and like uh, does a lot of weird stuff that looks like it shouldn't work, but he'll he'll somehow catch you with it, and just like very frustrating to roll with. So. The, the hashtag fuck Craig Jones kind of blew up <laughs> but um, yeah I, I had nothing to do with those rashies being made by the way if you like the fuck Craig Jones rash guard hit up MA1 or Absolute MMA they're the ones that got it made but yeah I saw that and then uh, obviously we knew the draw so I knew that there was a good chance I'd fight Craig in the second round if I, if I made it through the first one so I lined up to have a, have a rashie to wear put the message out there but yeah unfortunately I couldn't beat him it would have been even better if I'd won with that rashie on
2: obviously so you are training with Craig. You are absolutely yeah, st-, yeah. st Kilda I, is it or yeah, you know, absolutely in St yeah. Kilda.
0: So there's a there's a few different ones around. St Kilda is kind of the one where, uh, you know, me, Lockie, Craig, uh, Kit, when he's in town. Yeah. Uh, we got some some real good brown belts and purple belts that are coming up and competing a lot. But uh, that that seems to be the the place to go for jiu-jitsu in Melbourne and um, I mean in Australia to be honest, especially for nogi and this sort of submission submission style of grappling that's that's starting to blow up. Mm. Uh absolute, is
2: definitely the place to be. So what do you think separates sort of like Craig from you know what he's sort of blown up in the recent recent year or so? Yeah. What's what separated him from, from everyone else, would you say? I mean it is did hard you see to say ADCC it. Yeah, absolutely. He did the
0: impossible man, yeah. he shocked the world. Yep. He had that moment that uh that every grappler, you know, trying to make a name for themselves once, he mm-hmm. fought like a guy who's I mean, admittedly, the guy, Leandro is more of a beast in Gi IBJJF style than he's in No Gi. But still, going into that, he's one of the best grapplers in the world. And Craig was relatively unknown. Like uh, people in Australia knew he was a beast, but yeah. the the rest of the world, I mean, most of the people in the grandstands, I'm guessing, would have just been like, "Oh, Leandro! Leandro is, is about to eat yeah. this poor kid, yeah. this poor white boy." And then uh, Craig goes out there and does well the whole match. And then it wasn't a fluke either. It's not oh, like he no. just
2: caught him. He, he Well, he, he had that heel hook attempt first. Yeah. He, the, he, he, I think he, he popped his knee with that, didn't he? Uh,
0: I'm not sure. I, I have no idea. Brazilians don't like to tap. They like no. to let things break. So it's hard to know. But, um, yeah, that might have crippled him or, or might not have even felt it. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, he, he kept the pressure on him, made him def- got him on the back foot and kept him on the back foot and eventually got it. And mm-hmm. then didn't just do it once, but then he did it to Murillo as well, who's another one of the best grapplers in the world. That was unreal. And, you know, after that, uh,
2: he got all the all the props he deserves. Mm. And the uproar from the crowd that day was just unreal. Yeah, you
0: can imagine. Yep. Like, people love an underdog.
1: Yep. Yeah. Craig's style, like, for, for me, like, I've only done a few comps, but I've watched, like, I watch Craig's stuff and just like the composure that he has, it's like it's just any other role to man, him. Man, I thought you guys wanted like, to
0: talk about me. Fuck, Rage. Sorry, <laughs> man. come on. Sorry. I thought you read the rest. Hey,
1: we got we got hours, man. We can talk about you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. What were you saying? But it's like just the his composure. If yeah. like it feels like that, just lends himself uh, that lends itself to like being that fucking underdog dude that is gonna pull off the upset. Because it's like it's just crazy that the the style that he has of just being so calm and so yeah collective. he
0: competes he competes really really well and that's a whole skill in itself yeah. like it's not enough to be good at jiu i'm sure uh, you all know guys who are amazing in the gym but it doesn't translate over into competition as well and you need to be you need to a have the skill to be able to do that to someone like leandro and then you need to be have the mental like the mindset, the confidence to be able to go out there, look across the mat, see that you're standing opposite Leandro Lowe and still believe in yourself enough that, no, I'm going to go for my heel hook. I think, I don't think he's going to be able to have an answer for it and know that your stuff is as good, if not better than your opponents, no matter who they are, which is a really difficult thing. It's something that I struggle with. I think it's something that everyone uh, that competes in any sport probably struggles with. Mindset is, uh, is, and composure and confidence and all that is one of the, if not the most important things.
1: When, uh, when did you start competing at Jiu-Jitsu?
0: Um, so I did Worlds for the first time in 2012. And how so old were you then? 21. Wait, let me do maths. 26 now. Quick maths. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I would have been about 20. That's right, because I couldn't drink over there. So I was 20. Um, so I'm from Perth, Western Australia. I, I started a training over there and uh, trained there all the way through Purple Belt. So 2012 was my first year at Worlds, and I was purple belt. And, um, yeah, before that, I'd done some competitions, but, you know, like, not even Australia-level. Like, I'd done Pampax once or twice, but mostly just stuff in Perth, training with guys. Like, you're in a very small bubble. Not that there weren't good guys training there, mm. but if you think, like, at that point, I would, I'd sort of risen to the top ranks of that gym, and I was sort of killing everyone at training, and I was like, yes, I'm the best. And then I went and did a training camp at uh, Team Lloyd Irvin, over in America before Worlds that year and just got absolutely humbled. Like, that was the year that Keenan uh, double Grand Slam, yeah. won double gold at Europeans, Brazileros, Pan Ams, and Worlds. So were you killed, training with Keenan? Killed every that? Purple Belt in the world. Um Yeah, I was training with Keenan. Keen- T- Keenan was at Team Lloyd Urban at that time. And uh, he's a big reason that I wanted to go over there. But then I went over. I was training with him, training with JT, DJ, uh, all, the, all the monsters that were there. And... Uh, not just those guys, but even like blue belts and white belts and stuff. Cause just the, the, the sort of the vibe on that mat, it's so competitive. Everyone's, no one's there just to, to get a little bit of after work fitness in, at mm-hmm. least not in the competition classes. Like it's kill or be killed. You're out there. Everyone wants to be a world champion in that room. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I was, I was getting worked over by the white belts and blue belts and I was, you know, it, Probably for the for that actual competition, it wasn't the best thing because it probably shattered my confidence a little bit. But then coming back to Australia after Worlds that year, um, for those that are interested, I lost first round. I actually ended up cutting down a division because I realized I was in Keenan's division and couldn't <laughs> do a thing to Keenan. And I was like, well, man, I'll, I want to try and win. I don't want to go out there aiming for second place as the best I can do. So I tried to cut down to lightweight. But, you know, I... All, a lot of lessons in 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 that year but uh but yeah it wasn't my best performance but that was the start of me going okay uh this is what jiu is this is how like professional athletes train this is how people that take this sport seriously and try and like this is this is what you got to do if you want to actually be one of these guys that's winning worlds so then i came back and started uh taking my training a lot more seriously and taking a lot more responsibility for my own training, not going, oh, I'm, I'm here in Perth, I, I don't have that many people I can train with or there's only so many classes I can go to. Mm-hmm. I start like, get a get a gym, get a key to the gym so I can sort of, you know, whoever I could convince to come in and drill or roll for, for an hour or two, I'd, I'd, I'd be there all the time. And then um, eventually I moved over to Melbourne and yeah, just always, always been trying to put myself in the best possible situation to get the best training I can and uh, try and get myself up to that level so I can keep trying to compete. And
1: What was the difference between... So, like, um, going from Perth and I guess it's all relative, right? Like, everyone thinks they're training hard until, I guess, you experience a different level and then that then yeah. elevates your own level. But, like, what were the differences between uh, what you were doing and then what you kind of experienced at, at that gym in the States?
0: Um the the main difference i think is and it's probably i've I've trained not just team Lido, i've trained at a lot of uh really good competition gyms you know i've been to i've been to leandro Lowe's in brazil i've been to uh unity i've been to you know all of these not all but i've been to a lot of gyms where there's they're putting out these top competitors consistently and the thing that's always the same is just uh a general vibe like it's not like a lot of gyms, it seems there's one or two guys that are really good and trying to compete and they're doing the best they can with the training partners they've got. But when you have a room where it's just from the black belts, browns, purples, blues, all the way down to the white belts and everyone is training like it's their job, like it's their mission in life is to to get that submission. Like, uh, that makes a huge difference that because you're, you surround yourself with people on the same journey as you, and you're all encouraging each other. You're all you go to the competition. You, you see your 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 boy out on the mat, and you go through that whole all the emotions of that with him. Uh, it's just it it I think it helps yourself. You you see what he's doing, and you see oh he handles the pressure this way. Like I'm this is what I'm going to do, I'm, and you you learn like that. And uh, yeah, having those people around you and, and having a good good coaching. Uh, team there and and all that sort of thing is is
1: hugely beneficial and then i guess you like kind of you brought that back that attitude back with you after that first kind of experience
0: yeah as much as i could um i, I it's obviously at, hard least the, at least the work ethic yeah it's, yeah it's hard it's hard to change uh an entire like vibe within a gym and also that kind of vibe is really good for producing world champions but it's not necessarily the best for encouraging like white belts and parents mm. to bring their kids along to a gym like you yeah. got to have both and that's where absolute is awesome at the moment we've got the comp classes and the adcc classes where you know it's uh heel hook or be heel hooked but at the same time you've got the beginners classes it's a nice gym it's sort of very uh there's really good uh like beginners coaching and and people are welcomed in there's a receptionist it's all nice like you come in you bring your kids it seems like a place where you'd you'd come and just join to get a little bit of fun and fitness after work and you, you get those guys because those are the pl- people that are going to keep the gym afloat yeah you're, mm. you're not going to have a gym uh, at least not a successful gym built on uh, professional athletes because at, at least in jiu-jitsu if you're if you're training all the time and competing all the time, when are you working? Like most most professional jiu-jitsu guys, at least at the lower levels, are uh, brokers, brokers or hell. But um, you need the, you know, the white belts, the people that are uh, sort of business guys. They just want to learn, challenge themselves, try something different. You need that to, to keep the gym afloat. So you got to have both sides of it.
1: Mm. I didn't, I definitely underestimated like, so for me, basically like, my jiu-jitsu experience was I did a class like I got a friend that owns like a Gracie gym in the US so when I was living in the US I did one class where were and you then? then? Uh, in Temecula what's that? it's like Southern California oh, so okay, like near cool. near LA and um so anyway I walk in there and I was just doing some boxing because uh, mm-hmm. his his uh Nephew or anyway, it doesn't matter. But he's like wanted to do to spar against because it wasn't like a traditional boxing gym. So they just asked yeah. if I'd spar him because I was the same size. And then um, so I did that for a little bit. Uh, like I'd do my my gym workout and then I'd go box this kid. And then he was like, "Oh, you should go and do jiu jitsu." And I was like, "Dude, I always wanted to try it." First class, did it, loved it. I was like, fuck, this is my new thing. And then there was like a really big dude slipped it, like after we are getting up from our last roll, fell and shattered my uh, scaphoid in my wrist. Uh, so that was like four mm-mm. years ago. So then I stayed in the States all the way up to pretty much like the you start of year. You weren't even rolling? It was after we were rolling, dude. He, he was just like fell a Big you? dude, yeah. And so he how just how did he fall over? It, it just in his sweat, like he was just he fucking just walking sweat. along and just <laughs> like as we were getting up from the ground. Were you
0: like posting with your arms straight yeah, or something? Yeah, like
1: I was like just, yeah, and do- he just I was fell like chilling, like exhausted uh, no. from this roll. And he gets up, smashes my scaphoid. So I was like, well, fuck, there goes that. I didn't that's have any health, health insurance or that whole deal.
0: No, especially in America, that's the worst place. Yeah. 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 So I,
1: and it fucked me for work. So I just had like this thing, this cast on my hand for ages. But anyway, fast forward to to like I guess the start of this year, and through Judd, who uh, his kid Axel just kind of travels around Australia competing. Um, I think I know them. Axel Howie. Yeah. Judd's yeah big I, I know the name. Yeah. I, I think
0: I've announced it before. Yeah. He's a I fucking. Remember seeing Axel Howie to Matt Seven or whatever. Yeah. He's <laughs> I just a little would killer. Have shout busted out. that out a few times.
1: Um, but yeah. So then like they stayed over, and we went to watch a comp at Byron, and I was like, you know what, fuck, I'm just gonna I'm gonna go to the gym on Monday. So just stroll into Gala Brothers only because it was the closest one to my house. But I didn't didn't have any idea, A, what I was getting myself into in terms of, like, I didn't want to compete. I had no ambitions of any of that shit. I was like, I just want to fucking go and just try it. And then, you know, fast forward just like a few months later, like, me and Shane are fucking thick as thieves and you meet all these amazing people through it. And then it pushed me to compete because for me, like... I was talking to one of the other guys about this the other day. You, It feels like in jiu-jitsu, so, the people that you train with and your coaches and your professors, they put so much into you that they really? kind of don't have to. Like You get there as like a blank canvas and then yeah. you know nothing. And then everything that you get is like you get because of guys like Shane or you get because of Fabio or you get yeah. because of Paulo, like all those boys. So when the whole like comp thing come around I almost was like I'd like almost leave training guilty that I was getting all of this stuff from people like all of this knowledge all all of these um, you know it's like it's powerful when you can I guess do things to other people that also know the same things that you know let alone a dude off the street that doesn't know anything so like as soon as that first comp come around I was like fuck like I need to pay back the people that have Like, invested in me, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I just... I, I fully underestimated the power of jiu-jitsu for that. Because, like, I'm 30. Like, I had no... No intentions of fucking competing at anything. Yeah. But I think that, you know, like, I guess back to your point, what you were saying about um, you need those people to keep the gym afloat. Like, I feel like good gyms have such an amazing culture of, like, really raising people up, really lifting people and, and giving mm. people something to belong to that, yeah, that they might, might not have sure, had, yeah. you know? So, I guess, yeah, that that's sort of, you know, I guess where where I, I'm at with that. And then that kind of leads you down into, like, the rabbit hole of competition, which <laughs> is just a whole other fucking so deal. You,
0: so, you see competing as a way of, like, uh, showing respect to your coaches that have, have taught you and, and you're going out and representing them in competition?
1: Yeah, 100%. Like, mm. that that was... Cause man, I fucking don't even like it. Like <laughs> it's like you get uh, there and you're like nervous. I, I as love fuck.
0: it. I love it now because I don't get the the, the yeah. fear nerves, but I still get the adrenaline. Like I, I suppose in a way, it is like nerves and, and fear. There's like some of that thrown in, but it's not. It, I I don't have the the shit I don't want to be here feeling anymore. I just have that like oh shit, it's time. Uh, yeah. Like. I love it now but the first few times like, I remember the first ever competition I went to was this small one just in a guy's gym in uh, in Perth and um, I was like 15 or something and I was fighting in the adults division because uh, there wasn't a deep enough pool of mm. kids that did jiu-jitsu back then in Perth for there to be uh, you know 15 whatever weight I was kilo division so it was just like you're too big to be a kid so you fight with the adults and uh, yeah I remember being so fucking afraid that uh, I was just sitting there, and they was sort of like, there wasn't a bracket or there was no schedule or anything like that. It, it, it was just sort of like, yeah, we're doing this division now. So I knew I could be next, but they were just calling out names, and I wasn't sure if I was going to be up. And I just remember sitting there like, please don't call my name, please don't call my shit. It's time <laughs> to go. And, um, <laughs> I had a good match. I think I went the whole time, but I lost my first round. But, uh, yeah, I don't really even remember the fight. I just remember sitting there being terrified. And then I remember that I drank a lot of Gatorade before that because I was paranoid I was going to get a cramp. <laughs> so I drank so much Gatorade. And then I just remember straight afterwards I just went outside and just power yacked like bright red vomit.
2: No Because shit. I drank
0: too much Powerade.
2: That first comp is just really just getting out the nerves though is it you're not going to do well in your first role i mean you know?
0: depends who you are some people rise to the occasion yeah. some people just uh thrive under that like they go out and just you they roll like shit in, in the gym and you're like this guy's going to get smashed but they go out and just tear <laughs> someone apart because they they really rise to that pressure and that that adrenaline just takes over mm. but uh, i definitely am not one of those people that came to it naturally i I think I'm a lot better at it now, but I still probably got more improvement that I could make in, in that regard as well, in being a competitor. So it's just something that you always
2: got to keep working on. Ben, do you feel like people need to move away to become good competitors? You know, we see a lot of people going to the, the States and everything like that to train at the high level academies. I mean, Craig's a good example of staying in Australia and doing well, but do you feel like now in Australia you can become quite good and compete in the, in the highest level, say it's like IBJF Worlds or anything like that? Yeah,
0: definitely can. Um, I think for everyone, it just becomes figuring out what, like, you got to take account for your own, like, you got to figure out what works well for you, because everyone's different, like, uh, Craig's a good example, like you said, of someone who's trained mostly within Australia and still reached that top level, uh, a good example of someone else is, do you guys know Levi? Yep. Uh, just, just won, won World Bugs, Championship yep. at Brown Belt, which is huge 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 uh, accomplishment uh, God knows I tried to win Worlds at Brown Belt and Purple Belt a bunch of times and never never even made the podium and uh he's someone who's been training within Australia but he'll he'll, he'll stay and, and train and sort of fundraise and save up his money and then go back to America stay at Unity and train there with with uh with that group of, of coaches and training partners and stuff so he's, he's getting uh the influences there and uh yeah, it just it you got to figure out what works for you and put yourself in the best possible situation where you're gonna have uh, the best training for you. But also, if you're in like a situation where you can't have that, if you can't be training at Unity or training with world champions every day, you can't go. You can't make that an excuse and be like, oh, I I I I would be a world champion if I could train over there. Mm-hmm. Like you gotta you gotta do what you can. If if you're in Perth training with you know blue belts every day, then you gotta. I mean, maybe maybe you do like a shark tank drill where you, they're, they're, they're beating you up and you're getting fresh partners, so you're always fatiguing yourself and you're working on the back foot and work like that. You've got to find ways to, to challenge yourself and, and keep pushing yourself and, and get to that level or change your environment and, like, move. Um, you know, you, you can always find a way.
1: Yeah, to quote the great Travis Pastrano, winners win. Mm. Yeah, that's like. I think that when you look at any sport from like a sports psychology perspective, winners win. You know, you you find a way. Like if you're if you're a dude that would make the excuse to say that I would have won worlds if, like you're not a winner. Yeah, like you might win something here, you might win something there, but you're not actually a legitimate winner. Because the dudes that win, like a Gordon Ryan, like Nicky Ryan, what he's what four years into. Jiu-Jitsu training, just in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it's like there's no fucking excuses. That kid's terrifying. Mm. He's an animal, <laughs> yeah. dude.
0: He, uh, if he ever reaches my weight level, that's when I retire from Jiu-Jitsu. I think it's
1: crazy <laughs> that, like, with. Jiu-Jitsu, like hopefully
0: by then he's like old enough that it's not embarrassing to lose to him. <laughs> yeah, like, true. You, I don't want to be losing to him
2: now while he's like a child. That'd be that'd be horrible. Well, he's but, already calling out a lot of high level. people. I know even he's destroying like, black belts yeah, and stuff. That Geo match, you know, that was impressive. Yeah, very impressive,
1: dude. If you're Geo, and I mean fuck, like Jiu-Jitsu is Jiu-Jitsu. Like that's I guess that's what I was gonna ask you. Like, I in with me lately because I'm obviously just a white belt, and mm-hmm. I think that you set the. Uh, I don't know, maybe a lot of white belts set the bar pretty low and just try and be like "Oh, i just want to be a good white belt but i guess i've tried to think lately that jiu-jitsu is just jiu-jitsu and if you do the right thing then you can you know it's like black belt jiu-jitsu is still jiu-jitsu and i think that like nicky ryan's a good example of that like he's not really thinking about what belt he's at he's just trying to be good at jiu-jitsu yeah so i think like I don't know what was it like for you when you were kind of at that early levels like did you think of it like that or were you kind of almost like putting a ceiling on yourself at each belt or I
2: think it's just getting through that blue belt curse to be honest with you if you make it to blue belt you're doing okay because a lot of people just it just has such a high fallout rate as you know Ben Mm -hmm. in jiu-jitsu it's just a struggle to get from white to blue for most people so I was just for me personally I was just sort of focusing on getting to the blue belt and, and going from there but not putting too much emphasis on on anything really, just
1: surviving consistently coming to Jiu-Jitsu and that's about Mm -hmm. it. Because, yeah, I think like just with me traveling and stuff a little bit lately, like I I have to travel heaps for work so I've been like popping into all these different gyms and it's just like I guess I've tried to just switch my mentality from like worrying about... Because I was just like, all right, white belt one stripe, white belt two stripe, three, four, get a blue belt. (laughs) But now it's like I think that that's probably... If you focus on that a little bit too much, it's like, I don't know, it could seem like the road to belt is like fucking impossible almost. Because yeah. there's, like, so many of these notches that you only get... Like, you don't even know when you get one of those fucking things.
2: Well, I think that's why it makes it so prestigious as well. When you do get your black belt compared to any other martial art, you just, you know, you know you've done your time in jiu-jitsu. They don't just hand them out, you know. Fuck
1: no. Well, I mean, some people, but yeah, you're not definitely. real. <laughs> but, you <laughs> know, like, it's I think that... Some places are harder than others. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, like, I, I guess I've tried to just only think about it as jiu-jitsu. And mm-hmm. it, no matter who I'm training with or rolling with, like... Mm-hmm. It's uh, and I, I feel like I guess to bring that up with, is Nicky Ryan. Like, it's only he's only a couple years in, and I feel like he's to have that mentality to go out and like beat a Gio Martinez. Like, had he only been trained like two and a half, three years by then? I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it was like around that. that like when he, when he fought Gio. When I he think, fought Gio, yeah. I, I think
0: Nogi's like. a little difference as well, though. Like, yeah, I, there's I think not so. as much like, oh, this is a purple belt and that's a black belt. It's just like. Uh, this is what we're trying to do, and whoever's the best at that sort of thing. Yeah, um, we we do the same thing actually at Grappling Industries. We don't have belts in no gi. We do beginner, intermediate, and advanced, and then advanced as anything goes. So the absolute uh, no gi tomorrow is open open belt, open weight, so you can get white belts rolling with black belts if oh, wow. if white belts sign up. Um, put me in coach. <laughs> do it. Believe in yourself. <laughs> if you're a white belt competing tomorrow, please watch your knees. We always get white belts just thinking. So know, you, I'm going to just going to go for it, but yeah. Man, you're allowed to do heel hooks in the uh, the open weight division and, and if there's people that haven't been training with them this definitely that, a potential been for injuries so in the past. not the a huge belt. issue, okay. no. We haven't had he- we have we've been pretty good with injuries. Um we have medics at every event and uh you know, I tell the the referees not so much with the adults, um, but definitely with kids. And in the in the advanced divisions, like especially in those those super absolutes where it's open belt, open weight, I tell the refs, you know, if if you're if you can tell that the guy doesn't really know, he's in danger and he's in a position where he's gonna get hurt, you can't stop the matches. So, yep. uh, so. I, I try and try and get the refs to stop it if if the, the people just don't know and they're gonna hurt themselves, but. We have, you know, every now and then, it's a contact sport, there are injuries every now and then, but it's not not the hugest, hugest so deal. The the, most, the worst injuries I've actually seen uh, aren't from uh, heel hooks, they're more from takedowns.
2: Hmm. So, when you were starting grappling industries, did you, was that something you guys discussed in regards to, like, putting in the reaps and the heel hooks and everything like that, or? Hmm. So, uh, just, yeah, I didn't, um, when we were figuring out what sort of
0: rules to use, we David and I so David the, uh, the the president of grappling industries based in Canada um, he we, we both sort of like being different from the traditional like IBGf style I think there's I think IBGF already does a really 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 good job almost probably the best job you could do of filling that demand which is like that uh, really professional points. Gay, like, style tournament, but I think there's a lot of there's like a big gap in the market for something else. And there was a lot of call for for people that didn't like that IBJJF style of jiu jitsu. The people like Dana that are doing more sub only stuff or just looking at this side of jiu jitsu. Or there's uh, all the 10th Planet guys, for example, they sort of tend to prefer our events where you can do uh, all these crazy moves, you can do like twisters and stuff. Mm. They are, uh, we, we, we more developed this listening to the feedback from the competitors as well was a big thing in coming up with our rules but um yeah mostly we just try and be different we, we, we always come up with new ideas there's lots of stuff that we've we've had in the past that we've gotten rid of because people didn't like it or it just didn't work out or we didn't like the way it was was going like we used to do heel hooks and a gi at Black Belt and uh, people didn't like that so much so we've scrapped that um, we I think we got rid of, uh, 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 what's it called? Scissor takedowns at the start because, you know, there's a lot of injuries from that. Mm. Uh, jumping guard for white belts, we got rid of that because there's That's some cool. horrible knee injuries that from that. If anyone wants out. to, like, throw up, they can go Google uh, BGJ guard jump knee injury and uh, I'm sure you'll my see first some horrible. horrible white things. Belt, I
2: saw a white belt jump on jumping to guard. Oh,
0: my first. My first time seeing that, I was teaching a class, mm-hmm. and I was like, uh, just showing basic pull guard, like not jumping guard, like grab collar, grab sleeve, put your foot in the hip and sit down. Yeah, I was doing that. and then at the end of the class, I was like you can you can jump as well if you know you go here, blah blah blah, you can throw your hips and, and lock the guard around the guy as well. And then in the sparring first round, uh, a guy went to jump guard on another guy. The guy stepped back mm-hmm. and like straightened his leg Ugh. as he was stepping back, and instead of all the weight falling on his hips as the guy jumped, all the weight just fell on his knee, and it just went uh, the wrong yeah, the way it's not meant to go, and just screaming. And it's like a grown man. I was like eighteen or something, teaching this like day class at the gym I was training out in Perth. And uh, just some grown man like, ah, ah,
2: ah. so I'm assuming it was fully like dislocated, broken, was it? I'm or? not
0: sure. I was just like, holy shit! And then luckily that there was uh, someone else in the office who came out and was like, oh shit, call the ambulance. Cause wow. At that point, I was like, I don't know what to do. Should I just run? <laughs> like, get me out of here.
1: Yeah, no, that's uh, yeah, not a place to be because you can yeah, you, just, you can really horrible, visualize horrible, horrible, the pain horrible like it's right there for you it's like you're almost going through yourself like
2: oh i know exactly yeah the dude i saw he was on the mats for a whole hour with his legs just facing up the opposite way to where it usually goes and i was just thinking do i really want to do this you know what i mean do i really want to do this jujitsu were you competing the same day was was that your first one yeah that was my first one i was really close to just walking away but i just put guard so it was safer this guy was on his feet um For ages And then the guy just jumped Exactly the same story man Like he sort of scattered the legs And he jumped straight onto that lead knee And collapsed underneath him And it was horrible to see And I've seen I've seen quite a few of them happen, so it's it's yeah. a good rule.
0: it, it, it is. I, I'm always more in favor of uh, like educating people rather than just like saying you like outright forbidding it. Yeah. that's why it, it's not illegal all the way across the board just for white belts. Mm. But um, Absolutely. yeah, you know, you you need to teach that to people when you when you're standing. Like jiu-jitsu starts on the feet. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to watch. Like you got to you shouldn't have your legs straight anyway because you're meant to be defending takedowns. You need to have the those soft legs, you knees bent, you can you can take the the impact and the weight, you can shoot, you can sprawl. You need to have that. But um yeah, it is something you see quite a lot. Just people standing straight up and then they get their knees destroyed. So uh yeah, we we got rid of that for white belts. The people spoke and we listened and stuff like that. We're always making small changes and adjustments where they need to be made.
1: So what was the road to getting this whole thing going? Because like it's kind of turned into a, a a real beast now in terms of um the fights that you guys are putting on the countries that they're operating in yeah like i guess how did it all get going for you
0: so i i wasn't there for for chapter one of that story that's um that's david's road you could ask him about it but i know he was a guy uh he's studying at uni um doing jiu-jitsu doing mma and same thing i was saying about there being very limited. Opportunities for for grappling in that uh that area, I think uh, Montreal, Toronto, or something around in Canada. Um, there there was only one or two sort of organizations running comps, and he he'd go along and he'd see the event and go, oh, you know, there's a lot of problems here. If I was running this, I could do that. He just saw a saw a, a demand for it and started running comps. The first one I think was in a gym. Uh, all the staff were volunteers and just like people came, people liked it, next one he started sort of, uh, and it just grew, got more and more professional from there. He started killing it in Canada. Um, he had a friend who was training with him at the time who'd just come back from Sydney, training at my BJJ, um, in Sydney. And he was telling David the same thing over here. There's one or two comps that were really popular. There's a lot of people that do jujitsu. The demand is here, but there weren't really that many competitions. And, uh, David was at a point in Canada where he was sort of doing everything he could be over there and he wanted to expand uh, into Australia and he needed someone to help him over here. So the only Australian he knew, uh, not even knew, like knew of, was Kit. So he like slid into Kit's DMs, started chatting to Kit, was like, this is what I want to do. Kit's got like a chip on his shoulder about the AFBGJ. He He's like, "Yeah, fuck those guys. We're gonna start this and gonna kill them." And David was like, "Well, that's not really the idea. But we just want to run good competitions." <laughs> and like, uh, I don't think he really knew Kit that well at the start. But yeah, Kit's uh, awesome, and he's he's he can do whatever he wants. But if he doesn't want to do it, good luck making him do it. He's not gonna sit in uh, in call venues and send emails and do all that sort of stuff. That's just not his style. But um, through talking to Kit. David was also talking to just trying to make as many contacts as he could in the the jitsu community in Australia. I started talking to him a little bit. We sort of clicked. And then one day he was like, man, can I call you on Skype? I think you'd be able to help me with some stuff. And it just went from there. He was like, look, you don't need to have any background in this. You don't really need to know how to run events or anything like that. I can teach it all to you. All I need is someone who's passionate about the sport, who loves the community, wants to give back. And... Uh, you know, wants to make some money from doing it and um, can do all this stuff on the ground here in Australia that I can't do from Canada. So I started helping him with that. For the first year, he came out to all the events and we he had helped me run them. And then after that, he was like, you got this by yourself now, yeah? And I was like, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, Okay. And then sort of threw me in the deep end and I was running all the events in Australia. And um, I've got uh, Nick helping me with most of them. Nick's a, a Brisbane Guy, I don't know if you guys know him, Nick Barker, but um, yeah, he helps me with a lot of the events. He he sort of comes to Melbourne, loads the truck up with me, drives up here so I don't crash, and uh, helps me helps me announce the the mats and stuff like that on the day. But he's 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 a big help, and um, but yeah, it it just it we were really lucky in Australia. I think the timing was just perfect. The um, the the sort of attention around it was perfect. As soon as we announced, everyone seemed really positive about it. I think it helped that it was uh, something already established somewhere else. Like it was already proven in Canada that it's it's a good event, people like it. We do all this stuff, right? And then they came over here. They had a lot of lot of things that that we could uh, market ourselves with, and it just it it took off almost instantly over here, which is great. I know in America, what well, that wasn't quite the case. In in the U.S., they had some shows which were had a good draw straight away, but they also had a lot of events which. Uh, I, I don't think they had any that lost money, but they had some that like, barely broke even. They had a lot of events where like 50, 60 people would show up. And it, it's just a slow grind. But then once, because in America's a lot bigger, obviously, a lot more people and they were doing events all over the place. So it's hard to get the word out everywhere at once. But they started small and they just kept coming back, kept coming back to those cities. The first one might've been fifty, second Second one might've been 150. And now he's got all the, all the events all over America. We we just did the um the Arnold's earlier in the year. Gordon did a uh, a seminar afterwards, and I think it was the the biggest biggest Arnold's in the last six or seven years or something. They'd been getting consistently smaller. We took it over, and uh, it was the the biggest event in that state for the last five
1: or six years. Yeah, that's crazy. Did you what were you planning on doing before this kind of popped up?
0: Uh, just jujitsu, <laughs> just doing what I was doing. Um like I moved to Melbourne 2013 I think and um at the time like when I met David I was just training full-time basically uh Monday to Friday I just do jiu-jitsu and then the weekends I'd work as a bouncer yeah so I was working like all night Friday Saturday night Sunday night then Monday back to training and just grinding through that way and like making enough to make ends meet but not really much more than that you'd make a little bit extra that you put aside so you can go to some competitions but that was about it just living paycheck to paycheck like a like most jujitsu bumps but then this came along and I sort of thought about it um took a risk on it because it wasn't a sure thing and like a lot of people were telling me you know be careful you might just waste a whole lot of time doing this and all that but I thought there was a lot of potential there I believed in David and his idea and uh it yeah it all paid off really well for me.
1: Why do you think that there is that, like, jiu-jitsu bum thing? Like, I mean, for me, like, fuck, if I could just do jujitsu all day, every day, my body probably couldn't handle it. But, like, I don't know. There's something that kind of, like, draws people into, like, living that lifestyle, like.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's addictive. Like, uh, people, people start doing it, and then all of a sudden, that's all they want to do. Mm. And they want to, they want to, they set themselves all these goals, you know, speaking for myself anyway, like... uh I wanted to be a world champion, I wanted to do this, do that, and uh, you, you're like, oh, how do you do that? Oh, you just got to train all the time, so you start training full-time, but then, you know, it's hard to, hard to work five days a week and stay at that competitive level while you're, uh, while you're while you're working a full-time job, and especially, like, I don't know, I've been lucky that I've never really had to work full-time or chosen never to work full-time depending how you look at it but I've done a little bit when I first moved to Melbourne uh we good yeah Yeah, when I when I first moved to Melbourne I was uh working at Subway actually full-time and just hated it so much and that was probably the the worst my trainings ever been because even even if you'd finish work early enough to make it to class you would just been so over it from dealing with shit all day and like I can see how how people really struggle with that and I think you know, most people at working jobs they hate and they just get out of that and want to go to jiu-jitsu and then they find this sport where you know it's uh it's very real. Like there's no there's not a lot of bullshit in jujitsu. jiu-jitsu. Like, you go, you uh, you know straight away like you roll with someone you can tell, okay, you're you're kicking my ass or I'm kicking your ass. Like there's no there's no um there's no dancing around it. Yeah. And it's a, it's addictive for a lot of people and then people find
2: that and that's all they want to do. What did your training schedule look like when you were doing the Monday to Friday? Was it hard? Every every training was a hard training or was it sort of one day soft, one day drilling or how did it look? Um, so I think I was probably doing
0: twice a day, Monday to Friday and then I'd try and get a session in on the weekend but if I'm working till like 6am on Friday night then I'm probably not making it to over mat at 10am on Saturday yeah. sort of thing. So the on the weekend my training wasn't great but... Um, It was good that it kept... At least I had five days free and then two days where I was doing something I didn't want to do rather than working five days doing something you don't want to do and then just getting the weekends off and then you got to do it again sort of Mm -hmm. thing. Good trade-off. Yeah, I'm always like... I think I'm very lucky like from as early as I can remember, I just remember being like, okay, I don't want to work like... I just finished school, like, I just finished going to this place I don't want to go to every day, Monday to Friday, and being forced to do this, I, I like my freedom, I don't want to do that all the time, I want to find a way to, to just be able to do what I want, like, I didn't know what I wanted to do for work or for a career or whatever, but I knew what I didn't want to do, and I was doing something that I wasn't passionate about, so I just started doing jiu-jitsu, and I was like, if you make money from it, good, if, if there's no if there's no money coming from it, it doesn't matter. I'm not doing it for the money. I get something else out of it.
1: Yeah, I think.
2: What's um, the question. No, no, I think that answers <laughs> the Monday to Friday schedule, which you answered. Oh right, originally. yeah. So anyway. I was
0: training like twice a day, pretty hard. Um, yeah, I I try.
2: Did
1: you Did you have like yeah, like today's just a drill day, or was it kind of really. like the same every day? No,
0: not I, I. I struggle at uh, at pacing myself. Like, uh, trying, trying to go light. Like if I'm have a day where I'm like, today's going to be a light day. And then someone like Craig asked me to roll. I'm like, shit. All right. Today's <laughs> not a light day anymore. Now we got to roll or like, yeah. So, um, I'll, my training, it all the jujitsu is pretty much the same. Like there's a, there's a small element of drilling. Like, uh, anyone who's familiar with Kit would have heard of him, him, uh, going on about the hashtag no drilling, like yeah. drilling doesn't work, all that sort of thing. Um, I I get what he's saying with that. I think he boils it down to make it more of like a a contradictory thing that is going to upset Brazilians and then people are going to talk about it more. But I think he's got a point with that where like there's there's diminishing returns with drilling. Like if you're trying to get the hang of a guard pass, you can do it, you know, a hundred times uh, with your partner just letting you do it and then... Like, you, you're probably going to learn a lot from that because you figure out how to do the, drip, the grips. You feel like you figure out how you're meant to move your partner. But after that, there's not really that much benefit to it because that's not how it's going to go down in real life. You need to start adding in resistance. So I think a little bit of drilling is good, but then once you can do the move without the person trying to stop you, then you need to start doing it. Okay, now I'm going to try it on a blue belt, and the blue belt's going to be resisting. Okay, and you start doing... So I do a lot more specific training than... um than actual drilling so specific training being uh you start in a position so uh if i was competing in ebi maybe i'd do a lot of specific training with people on my back because i want to get my defenses good or starting on someone's back because i want to get that good and so we uh at absolute we do a lot a lot a lot of specific training like every single class there's um there's specific training where you're starting in one position and it's live the person's trying to stop you but you um you you you're working just in that very small range and you can focus on, uh, whatever move you're trying to get the hang of, uh, and you can boil it down and make it as, as specific as you want. Like if you're trying to get good at arm bars, like, say you're trying to get good at, uh, just basic armbar from closed guard, you can start in close guard and try and do the whole thing, or you can start With your leg over the head, you can start with the knee, you can start with your partner like holding on and you've got the whole arm bar and just try and finish from there. And if you can get that on someone, go okay, I can do it from there, now go back a step. Now we're trying to do it from, maybe we're in closed guard and I've got your arm across like this so I've got got some control and I should be able to finish this most times but it's not a sure thing. And then your partner's trying to stop you and you might get that but like uh do you get what I'm trying to yeah, say? Yeah. Then yeah. yeah. you can you can make it as broad or as specific as you want. So I do a lot more training like that, where it's not it's not just completely wild like wild, wild west rounds the whole time, but it's not it's not just phoning it in, just drilling and your partner's letting you do stuff and you're developing bad habits because you're just pushing there, whereas in real life they might do something different and that you're not gonna be able to push there sort
1: mm. of thing. I've I've definitely found uh, drilling like even as the person that is like the partner, there's a certain like I get like, maybe confirmation bias because it's like you know what's gonna happen, so like as the partner you even know what they're kind of going for to where it's like it almost kind of taints your reaction to yeah, where think- like you can, it's like it's even hard to be a good drilling partner at times because you know what's gonna happen. I think what what Ben said as well. Without the
2: resistance, it it's just drilling with with a dead body. You could do it with a dummy, and it wouldn't be beneficial. But we need that resistance as well. There's, yeah, there's definitely some benefit, but I think it's benefit
0: to a point. And I think if you uh, you do like a hundred reps, you might get a lot out of it, and then the second hundred reps, you might get a little bit out of it. And then, but once you've done it like thousands and thousands of time, like uh, like I know some people and more people with better better like resumes than me in terms of competing say to do it differently so if, if you're doing it one way and it's working for you don't listen to me but <laughs> i think uh yeah if you if you're just doing something thousands and thousands and thousands of time without resistance it's definitely good for building that muscle memory and uh that's that's a big part of jiu as well like forcing someone to to play into your strong suits and like whatever you do i'm going to be able to hit this barren because i've drilled it ten thousand times that's a big part of it as well but I think another big part of it, which is probably my, the bit of jujitsu that I enjoy more is like the problem solving sides of things is what like, rather than just, I've got this move that I've done a 10,000 times and I'm going to hit this on everyone, no matter what is like, we're in this problem. Like I'm, I'm in your guard. I don't know how to deal with this grip. I've got to try and find a way in seven minutes to like work this out. And, uh, and I think you, you work that side of your brain a lot more in specific training and sparring because uh, it is life. He's trying to figure you. He's trying to figure you out as you're trying to figure him out, and it's just it's this human chess
2: game that we all love. So, would you say if you've never done the technique before, it'd be really good to do a very light drilling and then work your way up to resistance?
0: Yeah. So, if I was, um, if I was like a blue belt and I'm just starting and I'm trying to like figure out how to do this one position, I would start with. Uh, someone you know uh, just whoever your favorite drilling partner is and just do it work it until you can do it like you know where your hands go you know the idea you know the concepts behind it you know why the position works and also that's the thing don't just drill it like hand goes here hand goes here do this step here and I'm here try and think about like why you're doing the like if your coach is saying grab here and grab here try to think about why like maybe that's the best grip for their uh jitsu because like if your coach is short and you're tall, he might grab one way and it's, but it's better for you to grab a different way. So you've got to start uh, figuring out how to make uh, techniques your own and how to do it your own way. And that's something that you can't figure out just from drilling. That's something you need to figure out from people's reactions. And you might do uh, a guard pass one way for, for years and think that this is the way you do it. And then you adjust your grip slightly or you, you do it by accident in a roll one day and it works better. And you're like, oh shit, that's why. And then you realize that that works better because, of course, it works better. My arm's longer. I've got this leverage. I can do this, whereas other people can't do this, and you sort of start to tailor everything to your own game. And, uh, yeah, I think that's something that you can't get from drilling, mm. that that you need you need to be uh, doing it to, to someone that's trying to kill you.
2: When you were coming up the ranks, Ben, who were you watching on a regular basis to try and you know, emulate? Um,
0: I, I watched a lot of... Uh, the so like I'd watch a lot of worlds and um I always try and look at people who play similar sort of games to myself so and also people that are that I've met and trained with like through traveling and stuff like that so Keenan was someone that I looked at a lot of when I was uh, doing more gi training I was working a lot of uh, lapel guard stuff and copying some his game like that Leandro as well because he's got that sort of long frame looking at the way he passes guard. Mm-hmm. And stuff like that but um, yeah I've always been uh, sorry I've always been a big fan of trying to like figure stuff out for yourself and um, rather than looking oh man Andre Guevara does this sick pass I'm going to try and do this sick pass Hmm. like uh, Andre does this pass and that's why it works for him and he does it here and he pushes this and then trying to like take that and, and learn it and look at how he does it but then try and make stuff fit your own Own sort of thing, if that makes sense.
1: That does, yeah. What's the balance? Because I guess, like, where I'm at now is I've sort of started to identify some positions that I like being in and different guards that I kind of find comfortable. But Mm -hmm. it's like, what's the balance between trying to be a fucking killer from there and neglecting maybe some other stuff that you sort of know you're not comfortable with? Like, what would your advice be in that in that regard? is like should you just really try and diversify at those early stages, or is there like come up with a go-to so that when you go in comps, you're really well versed in that particular world? Yeah,
0: I think I think both. I think it's pretty normal that you find something that you're good at. And just uh, you ride that as far as it'll take you. Like for me, it was guard when I was blue belt. I don't think I knew a single guard pass. So, like I had a good guard because I'm tall and like kind of flexible, lanky guy. So I'd play play all these, these guards and I was pretty good from there, but didn't really know how to pass guard until like later on in purple belt, brown belt sort of started working, that side of things. So I think long-term is best to try and keep yourself quite well-rounded, work all different aspects of your game. But in terms of like, uh, if you if you measure being good at Jiu Jitsu by who you can beat the best way to get good fast is to like
1: focus get your specifics. little game
0: plan so yeah you might only know one sweep one guard pass and like one submission but if you can do that to everyone like that's that's all you need kind of thing and then from there you can start adding different things in and grow like that and that's kind of what happened with me like I had Uh, My guard, and I'd have a few sweeps that I liked, and then I know from this sweep I'm going to end up in this position, and I need to be able to pass this guard. So you start learning how to pass from that, and uh, it just grows out that way. Um, So, yeah, I don't think you need to be too well rounded. Like, you look at uh, worlds at like blue belt and purple belt, usually the guys that win are guys that have that like rock solid game that like. Mm if you take them out of that you might be able to beat them but they're so good at like uh, staying, in staying, staying in that lane and just uh, you know good luck good luck if they get on a barren or something
2: well Meow Brothers sort of built their whole, game, whole career whole on that they're a, they're, they're a that, perfect hey? example yeah.
0: yeah of just people who you can't like you can't keep them off your back it's impossible mm, you know it's what so hard do. like not impossible nothing's impossible but it's so hard they're so good at that because they are uh, they just do it over and over and over again yeah and um yeah, I think I think that sort of happens. But you look at them now, and they're not just guard guys. Their passing is yeah. incredible. Yeah, it's good. Like uh, they're not just gi guys. They're no gi guys. Like uh, I think it's it's normal when you start to to sort of find something that you're good at, and you use that as a crutch. But as you develop, you need to throw that crutch away and become like I, I'm still guilty of it. Like my wrestling isn't as good as my jiu jitsu. I need to get to more wrestling classes, try and build that side, and um. So, yeah, it's just something that you need to always be working on
2: and developing like that.
1: Yeah. What, what was your game plan when you were a white belt? I only know Savage Purple Belt, Sean.
2: I don't think I had really had a game plan when I was a white belt. Just pull guard and hope for the best at that stage. So I was, like, like yourself, just yeah. wanted to play guard. That's all and I yeah, wanted Yeah, it's kind.
0: Like if you're not a really strong physical guy, it's usually pull guard and yeah. work from there. And if you are, it's usually takedown and Kimura yeah <laughs> take down grab an arm and marikana Rip it off. yeah,
1: yeah. So I'm like I am I see I guess like I get really frustrated by the dudes that do that like even I went to a gym and I won't say which one just cause I wanna be cool um, but we'll I went to a gym it. and it was like yeah, some beef. Nah, <laughs> Come on. I don't like you beef you trying to send
0: this thing viral or not um,
1: but it was like I did all these roles and all these dudes were fucking huge and it was like Das and Kamora. I got Das more than I've ever been Das my whole life and then it was just big dudes ripping Kamoras, and I was like it kind of frustrates me because like I guess for them there's a random dude walking in their gym it's like let's fuck this dude up like I fully get that but to me it just felt like really stalled out like yeah. it just didn't seem to make a lot of sense that you'd especially like they're all way bigger and higher belts so it's like you could play fucking games like you could do what you wanted to do But it felt like those guys still just went to their their same sort of game plan. And I think, like, even at the moment, like, dude, when we rolled the other night, I think you got me, I think you tapped me the same way four times. Like, because I was going, I was trying to do stuff that, like, I probably can't do that shit yet. And, like, you know, Shane is going to pass my guard. But it's like, I almost... You got to try it. Yeah, I almost would rather just... You
0: got to suck at it for a little bit. so That's the only way to get better at it.
1: Mm. Yeah, so it's like, I, I guess I'm in that stage of trying not to limit myself to just the stuff that I am good at and yeah. trying to, but then you kind of leave the gym pretty fucking frustrated at times because you're just like getting smashed and passed every, you yeah. know, and submitted like four times in fucking five minutes.
0: Yeah, you need to have both and that's, um that like you were saying before, how do I structure my training and like I don't really have uh, lighter days and easier days, but I do have Times where I'm like trying to play like my B game or my C game, I'm like doing stuff that I don't do so much. Like at the moment, it's heel hooks. Like uh, I've only just started focusing on no gi since the start of this year, really much. Uh, That didn't even make sense as a sentence, but like um, uh, at the start of this year, I started focusing a lot more on no gi and uh, and heel hooks because I mean, I was that's the place to be. Absolutely, that's all that everyone's killing it there. And um, but for the last few years, I was really more focused on gi, and uh, at the moment. I've had to completely uh, get humbled in this this leg lock game because um I, I I had to get involved in it and at the start like that's the the trade off like on the the bad side of things was like I was behind everyone else because I hadn't really done it I'd neglected that side of jujitsu uh, my whole. Life, But then the good thing about it was because like Lockie and Craig and all these guys have been working that they already had figured most of the stuff out. I just have to copy what they do, whereas they had yeah. to figure it out for themselves. Yeah. So I'm really lucky in that regard to be able to just come along and be like, man, Lockie, I can't finish this. Like I get in this position, but I can't finish this. What am I doing wrong? And he's like, oh, change this, do this. And uh having... Like you can figure stuff out for yourself, you definitely can, and uh, innovate your own techniques. But having someone that's walked that, that road, that, that's that's familiar with it, can just look at you and go, "Ah, oh, man, you're not doing this. You should try doing this," and just give you that that guidance that that makes things so much easier. It saves you a lot of time.
1: Is there like a cycle with this whole leg lock thing? Do you think where it's like, is it in? It's still in its infancy in a way, to where it's like people aren't as good at defending right now because it seems like like am I wrong in saying this only been the last few years where it's like really really been, it's like it's a brand new game you mean yeah it almost yeah. is right they've like been, obviously they've, been, they've been, around. been around for a long yeah. time but it feels yeah, I like think they're
0: being developed more than they've ever been before yeah. now I think more people are, like I think you got guys like uh, like Dana Ha like Gordon like Gary like uh, Eddie Cummings like Craig who are looking not just looking at what exists in terms of techniques but also innovating their own like I know I can get that like this way or like I'm in this position and oh, maybe if I just step this way and they're seeing things that weren't there before because uh, it, I think it was something that was largely neglected by most gyms, especially the ones that focus on more gay, more IBJJF style the training. Um, a, a lot of a lot of people like black belts included just never like, no, 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 we don't train with heel hooks. That's too dangerous or whatever. Yeah. And it was just something that um, yeah, people didn't even look at Um, and now uh, I I don't think it's like it's probably just a a swing in the opposite direction from that and it's going to calm down and people are going to as more and more people Mm -hmm. start to figure out the heel hooks um, they'll, they'll start to be less not less effective, but at the moment it's almost like a kryptonite that people have never seen this before. And then you, if you train, if you know a little bit about your leg locks, you can catch them in whatever you want. Cause they've just, they're so, so fresh to it. But, uh, the more people start to understand it and, and study it and develop it like that, uh, I think it'll be, I think it'll be very rare in 10 years time that you can go to a gym and no one knows how to do a heel hook. Like, I think it's, it's going in that direction more now
1: and then but what do you think is going to be the implications on like a competitive standpoint because now it seems like a lot of matches are getting done via heel hook and even guys that can Mm -hmm. like even dudes that play heel hooks are getting done by them because it's such an effective technique because the guys that are good at them are so
0: much better than the guys that are bad at them because they've never even and can you see
1: that pendulum going the other way to where it's like in a few years time like we're probably just not going to see that many heel hooks because they're going to be so smart I think you'll
0: still still see them but you'll see them like the same as you see chokes or armbars or something I think it's something that people aren't ready for at the moment but like the it's, it's already like there's a shift, like everyone's starting to do it now. If you're trying mm-hmm. to compete in nogi, you're trying to... And, uh, if you're trying to compete on that professional grappling sort of stage, if you're doing these fight to win nogi matches and stuff, you know that heel hooks are going to be a part of that. So I think most people are training with them now. And, uh, you know, I think that's another reason that guys like Craig and Gordon have exploded because people are like, oh my God, this is amazing. You know, we need to learn as much about this as we can whereas like the information's always been out there. There's always been guys like Dean Lister who were doing it. Um, but it just people, people just didn't realize. Yeah, it just, there's just been a big boom of it lately and, and everyone's looking at it now. But because everyone's looking at it now, people are going to start to get better at it now. And eventually I think it's going to be more balanced where you know people will still be going for them. People will still be catching them. They're still hyper-effective. They're, they're, they're super-effective uh, techniques. And um, it's a huge advantage to be good at that game but I think everyone's, it's, it's going to be like like trying to compete in IBJF but not playing 50-50 guard. It's like, you need to know, you need to know that that's there and you need to be able to get out of it if you get stuck in it. Like, I don't know how, how if you guys were training jujitsu back in the, like, 50-50 guard wasn't a thing. And then one year, like, a few guys came out and just killed everyone at Worlds and they were using it to sweep. They'd pull 50, like two people to pull guard at once and everyone was like, what's going on? This is crazy. And then, but because no one had seen it before, they'd use that to sweep, they'd come up, they'd get there two and they'd win like that. And you can call it boring or stalling or whatever, but within those rules, they found this little game that mm. most people didn't know how to play. And uh, they were fucking people up with it for a long time. And then, but now, like you can't go to a gym anywhere and be like, "Ah." Oh, 50-50 doesn't work it's just something that everyone it's needs to work on you yeah, need to put yeah. that in your game even if even if that's not your strategy you're not like oh this is my guard I'm going to go there you still need to know it's there you still need to be able to get out of it otherwise someone's just going to put you there and you're going to be stuck for 10 minutes so you got to you got to work everything
1: I'm excited to see where heel hooks and just I guess leg locks in general fit into MMA like obviously Dylan finished his fight yeah. with a toe hold but like it's pretty fucking ordinary, like stand-up sort of dude. Like the guy he was fighting, you could just tell he had no fucking idea what was going on. <laughs> but like, can but you that's see... why
0: it's such a such a like <laughs> Achilles' heel. Yeah, pardon the pun. Yeah, <laughs> but um,
1: yeah, because. But can you see it like really going into MMA? Like, do you think Gary Tonin's gonna go in and like fuck up a big name dude that just hasn't seen that, like that that world of heel yeah, hooks? Uh,
0: absolutely. Um. Yeah, you can. I think well Gary showed uh, the other side of his his game in that match Well, I think he was intentionally not doing that but yeah. I think uh the yeah, same, same thing in MMA quite. same that's thing amazing. in MMA as jiu-jitsu like because it's been neglected for so long there's this big hole there in everyone's knowledge that like there's so many people that just you get them in it doesn't even have to be in a heel hook you just get them in that position where you're holding their legs and they freak out they don't know what to do and um that's that's a big advantage to exploit if you know if you know you're comfortable in that game and you can put them there. That's just as big an advantage in MMA as it is in jiu-jitsu.
1: What do you reckon, Diaz McGregor three? McGregor wins with a heel hook. <laughs> <laughs> Hanging around with Dylan, that's the way it goes down. They'd break but, the internet. Fuck with that, just like that. Yeah, that would break the internet. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely like I was talking to my friend. He is a guy that. Uh, I got into the UFC like oh man I've been watching I think I started watching UFC because of Ultimate Fighter 1 like probably a ton of people but mm. I've always been like hardcore Diaz from like literally that that show and he'd never done anything never never like seen any MMA really like kind of yeah. thought it was lame now he's like a full MMA fan yeah. and uh, and I was I was he was talking to me the other day just like asking how like training and stuff was going
0: yeah.
1: and um and I just mentioned some, like, leg lock stuff. And uh, he's like, oh, what's that? So it's like yeah. the, the casual, like, not even... He's probably more than a casual MMA fan. yeah. But, like, he's got no idea that leg locks are even a thing. And yeah. he's a guy that watches every single pay-per-view. And I sent him, like, ankle break fucking heel hook videos yeah. and, like, a bunch of, uh, like, the Danaher Death Squad highlights video that's on YouTube mm-hmm. and stuff. And he's like, holy fuck, like, yeah. can they do that in MMA? And I was like, yeah, and, like, all these guys now... Like like Gordon Ryan he's surely he's gonna go to MMA like this yeah. it has to be why he's getting so fucking jacked he's gonna go to the gi first I think yeah, yeah, that's that's what, he
0: just wants to be jacked who doesn't want to be jacked <laughs> he's
1: fu- and his missus is fucking so wall yeah, she's is his, that his missus I don't, just, I don't
2: understand what's happening there
1: yeah that, that's Kids. fucking there's some there's gotta be some pegging that goes on in that relationship <laughs> <laughs> no she's yeah, that's fucking, the rumour
2: I'm spreading now yeah. Yeah, you heard it here
1: everybody yeah. that he, yeah he's getting fucking yoked son when yeah. you see like those videos of him like in the EVI tournaments where he starts on the back and he's just like not even getting the neck he's just squeezing people's fucking faces yeah. off I'm like that is a scary dude but
2: when you see the comparison photos of him when he was quite lean compared to when he was just jacked I think yeah. he was like in a fight to win he just had his shirt off and he's jacked I was mm. like wow
0: well I, I was surprised when I uh, when I saw him when I ref that fight we were talking about with Keenan yeah let's yeah, go into
2: that I need to talk about that for sure sure
0: but yeah I I've, he was bigger than uh than I thought he was then and that was before he'd like really got into like the lifting and bodybuilding but he Mm. was uh, I thought he was going to be quite a bit small yeah I thought he was going to (laughs) be quite a bit smaller than Keenan but um yeah they were the same size
2: yeah interesting so can you tell us how that fight came together if people are not aware that Gordon Ryan versus Keenan Cornelius at your grappling industries
0: um it so grappling it wasn't my event it was uh one one of David's events over in New York uh do you remember what year it was? A couple of years back, fifteen. Um, yeah, it would have been sixteen or fifteen. Mm. But um, that was sorry. No, you're good. Um, yeah, that was just. I I didn't put the match together. David did. Uh, but it was probably the biggest super fight we'd done at that point in terms of people paying attention to it, and um, yeah, it was just really no one. No one really knew what was going to happen because Gordon was starting to gain a lot of popularity through like shit talking and like hill hooking people, but he hadn't fought or he hadn't really beaten anyone of Keenan's caliber just yet. And I think most people thought Keenan was going to, uh, beat him pretty handily and it was a no time limit sub only match. So the only outcome is someone's getting submitted. So that's another thing that made it really interesting. Um... And yeah, like uh, what happened for those who didn't see the match, it, it went for 90 minutes and I had to stand there almost on one leg because I actually competed in the same event and I won, but uh, I got in a little bit of a toe hold at one point and like didn't hurt my knee, but it, it was like, I would have rather be sitting down afterwards, <laughs> but uh, instead I was, I was standing for the longest match that I've ever refed. Um
2: How long did you think, did you think it was going to go for that long or... Was there potential for to go that long? Um,
0: I thought I thought Keenan was going to win. I thought Keenan was going to like be able to control him and eventually just wear him down and sub him. But um, I was wrong, obviously. And I think that's what most people thought, especially. Well, maybe it was just the circles that I was talking to, but everyone I spoke to seemed to think that Keenan was going to be able to. Uh, just thought that he, Keenan was a lot more well rounded, whereas Keen was whereas Gordon was known as being like this specialist in the leglock game, but um yeah people didn't know uh, like uh, how it was going to go and Keenan was like Keenan was the man Keenan everyone everyone, Keenan's like the great white hope of America mm. he, he, he's sort of been killing it for so long and uh, yeah definitely I think people expected him to
1: tear Gordon apart so give us a play-by-play then. Of, not obviously it's a nine play minutes, to play but not really like play. Nine minutes. <laughs> <laughs> give us the very short version of the play-by-play. But like, how did it kind of start? And then where did it go to, like, I guess, where was the first time where you were like, fuck, this is really not the thing I thought it was going to be?
0: Yeah, so it, it started out kind of how I expected it to. Like, um, Keenan was definitely controlling the match uh, at the start. Like, he hit some takedowns. He was doing better positionally but Gordon did a great job of just not panicking. He knew he was in bad positions obviously, but it looked like it looked like he didn't waste a lot of energy fighting takedowns cuz he knows a takedown is going to put him in a disadvantaged position, but like you got a long time. So he just seemed to stay very composed, very calm. His defense was super tight. Keenan like could control him but just couldn't finish him and then he'd work back and get to a guard and then just He'd attack something. Keenan to defend. Keenan to attack something. He'd defend. They were both very tight in their attacks, both very tight in their defenses. But then as time went on, it just seemed like there was a point where I remember watching and just thinking, oh, man, it kind of seems like uh, Keenan's starting to get more frustrated than Gordon is in these exchanges. And like as the match went on, uh, Keenan's attacks got less and less, and Gordon's attacks sort of stayed stayed nice and consistent. He was tight, composed, and just kept kept going, kept putting the pressure on, and um, like it's easy to get fro- like I don't know how many people listening to this have ever rolled for ninety minutes, but try it, try and stay sharp that whole ninety minutes. It's it's very very difficult, and like uh yeah, just s- slowly but surely, Gordon like wore him down and eventually got him.
2: It was it was uh, eye opening for a lot of people, I think. It was quite interesting because I felt like at the end near the submission that Keenan was actually going for his own heel hook, if my memory serves me right. Yeah, it was Um, like a 50-50 thing. Yeah, and Keenan was looking for a leg and then just exposed his heel and it was just over. And I was like, because I got up early to watch it at 5 a.m. here in Australia. Um, I think you were broadcasting it on Facebook at the time. Yeah, we did it through Facebook Live. Yep, yep. and it was just amazing to watch. Like the submission after 90 minutes. So I'd never seen a match like it, Mm -hmm. even to this day, so... Yeah, um yeah
0: I can't remember exactly where the the sub came from or the the situation leading up to it it's just a 90 minute, 90 minute blur mm. but um yeah it, it just like from standing there watching and like watching them both as the the match went on it it just seemed like Gordon kept his composure kept calm he was expecting it it seemed like Gordon was expecting it to go uh for hours whereas Keenan Uh, was sort of thought he was going to get it earlier and he maybe started to get frustrated when he couldn't catch him in the first you know half hour or hour
1: yeah that seems like a pretty crazy thing to just first off like do but for a guy like Keenan that has just all the credentials in -hmm. the world to have a dude like Gordon, especially almost the way that he talks shit or almost all of them. But you know what all I mean? Except like, one. Yeah, which we that yeah. one credential they just won't give him. <laughs> the very recent one too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like to have a dude like Gordon, that's like that's like shocking the world almost. Yeah. Really.
0: Well that they they've changed uh I, I credit that whole Danahar gym with changing like the way people look at jujitsu almost like they they decided sort of as a, as a group that they weren't going to do the whole IBGF thing and do it that way. They were just like, did their own thing and got really good at that one thing. And at first I was kind of hating on them, like, oh, they're not, they're just, they're only fighting people in this rule set that they're good at. But like, that's what they were doing. And that's what they were saying. Like, we're better at doing this than anyone. And they sort of went out and proved that. Whereas like, I think if like at that level coming up, I was sort of like, oh, man, but if they competed in an IBJJF comp, they would have got smashed. But, like, so what? That's that's one side of jiu but they just opened up a lot of people's eyes, probably mine included, to uh, another side of jiu and it, it And to be honest, it's a lot more exciting, like, watching the that style of, like, people trying to go out and always trying to finish. Like, whether you're winning on points or winning by sub, you're going out and trying to actually beat the person rather than trying to game the rule set and, like, win by an advantage and then do it that
1: um, did you say you had to go at like twelve?
0: Twelve thirty. I need to be out of here. Yeah, gotta oh. go set up this competition. Otherwise, people will be rolling on hardwood
2: basketball court. So they should. Yeah. <laughs> that <Of course> is, <laughs> is there any future matches like that that are coming up? That yeah, like, we're no always time limit, we're or? always interested
0: in um in super fights. Obviously, like the the bigger name guys, you use the the more you have to pay them, and so you should. Yes. They're, they're the 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 top level of the sport and they're doing their thing so we want to compensate them for that but it just it uh comes down to like how much exposure that match is going to get the event whether it's uh whether it's worth it for us so uh i leave that sort of decision making more to Uguzi. he he sort of has the final say in that sort of thing in australia we uh we try and do quite a, like, uh, I try and do super fights semi-regularly to sort of help the events. Um, mostly local guys we've done. We did like Craig and Kit in Melbourne. That was, that was probably the both local guys, obviously, but both very well known within the jujitsu community. So we did that one and that was, uh, that was quite well received, but yeah, I do, I do put on like smaller local super fights at some of the events. Like tomorrow we have, uh, Uros from Art Suave versus Anton, um, both local guys, but both absolute beasts. And it's, it's uh, a really interesting match. And they might not be big names in the sense that someone in America is going to look at that and go, Oros versus Anton, who are these guys? But they, but the local people know them and they know it's going to be a, a good match. And it's an incentive to bring more spectators down. And it brings more people from those gyms because they want to watch their teammate compete, stuff like that. So we do that. And it has, a uh, like, so we have an interest in doing that because it's going to bring, bring more spectators down and uh, we can give a little bit of money back to some local athletes and, and make the event a bit more exciting in itself as well.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. So what's your uh, personal plans in terms of um, fights and matches that you've got coming up? Like, I guess what are the the goals on your own Jiu-Jitsu Horizon?
0: So uh, I'm going to be pretty busy for the next month because we got, obviously, tomorrow is, is the Brisbane comp, and then we've got uh, Sydney and Melbourne coming up as well so when I've got the when I book these comps I try and keep them within the same sort of time frame so that I can just grind them out for a month and then I've got a few months where I can do whatever and focus on training and competing and all that so after this um, I think I'm going to take a trip to the UK because we need to do a little bit of promotion over there so David and myself will go to the UK and uh, train around, try and make some contacts in the UK, try and get the word out about the events and also do some training. And, um, if there's any comps over there, I might jump in some comps as well, but that's more of a, uh, promotional, uh, tour. But then after that, at the end of the year, I, I definitely want to do Nogi Worlds, um, and ADCC trials whenever they announce those, because, uh, yeah, I want to go over to ADCC. I want to have my Craig
2: Jones moment shock the world so nogi is your focus for the
0: at the, the moment degree. yeah I like I'm actually really enjoying it like I said I've always uh, for, for years focused mostly on the gi and I still I still do train and, and love training at the gi and I, and I always will but at the moment I'm just sort of looking at the the nogi side of things and trying to trying to catch up to Lockie and Craig and those guys on that
1: yeah, yeah I think in terms of I've been, I've been, like, kind of wondering this myself and you as a promoter. Does the whole gi-no-gi no gi thing, is the no-gi more relatable? Is that why you think it's um, doing better on a larger scale in terms of like EBI and, and, the you know, the ADCC stuff? Like, do you think it's because it looks more like MMA or is it because it's faster because of the grips? Like, I think... or is it a like combination of things that make it a more... I guess, appealing package.
0: Yeah, I think it's a combination. I don't think... Like, I think Nogis is easy to look at. Like, if you've never seen any Jiu-Jitsu before, you've just seen a bit of UFC or whatever, it's easy to look at and go, oh, this is just UFC without punching. But... um. Like I was saying earlier, like, I think boring guys are going to be boring no matter what rules they fight. And there's really exciting guys in the gi, like, seeing someone take someone down, control the grips, like, and the guy on the bottom just has no answer for it, and they pass and dominate them. But the thing with gi is because of the grips, it does slow it down a lot. So, it's it can be a lot more technical, and there's... Uh, there's a huge amount of skill and like conditioning and strength. And it's like one, it's probably more impressive if you really understand it to like what, when you watch someone that's really dominant in the gi, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. But for people that don't have that understanding of jujitsu, it can be a little slower because you can't just bust through someone's guard. If they've got really strong grips, you have to take that time, fight that grip, fight that grip, try and win that chess match. It's, it's a lot more of a slow, uh, methodical thinking sort of style whereas Nogi uh, you can you can sort of slip and slide out of things a lot more and the is' just as technical and just as uh, it, it's different in a lot of ways but um, yeah just as technical but it's, it's I think faster more explosive more exciting um, there's a higher chance of submissions um, stuff like that
1: I guess it's like rugby versus like rugby sevens in a way. Yeah, it's like you just opening up the field. I'm what
0: you're talking about. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me I forget <laughs> that. I, <laughs> f- I forget that I'm with no, my, two. No, I kind of, I kind of know. My dad played uh, rugby sevens.
1: Yeah, because oh, I guess like rugby. Yeah, Ruby's cubes. They're the worst fucking headphones ever. No, they, for they, that. they're good. They catches when they're out. Out. Yeah. They're sick when you're wearing <laughs> yeah. it catches everyone out. Eh? Uh, yeah. I guess well, like with rugby, you've got you know 13 or 15. I'm um, more of a league dude, but yeah, you've got like 13 dudes on the field, and then all of a sudden you take away five of those or six of those players and then you've only got seven but the same size field sort of i guess would be my analogy for it mm. is there still beauty in, so the, is in it, the original is, game you know is it
0: is it more exciting because like uh it's easier for people to get through and yeah. there's a lot more tries and stuff okay yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. so yeah, it's like that is so it's the same game but uh you're, you're making yeah. it happen yeah you're making more stuff happen and you look at what eddie's done with ebi and that's clearly like the road he's trying to go down where He's trying to make it as uh, spectator friendly as possible. Where, like, I don't really like EBI rules because to me, that's not jujitsu. Like, if I fight you for 10 minutes and I can't beat you in that 10 minute match, I don't just get to start on your back and see who wins there. Um, mm-hmm. Even though that rule set actually fits my game pretty well. So, Eddie, hook me up. I'll put me on an EBI. <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, like, I think. I don't think that's the best rule set as a jiu-jitsu purist but you can really see what he's trying to do in in, uh regards to the exciting part of jiu-jitsu is when something like that happens and not just the submission but like you can tell when someone's like dominating someone else like when you you watch um i can't think of a good example off my head but there's tons you watch someone get you know take down pass mount submit like you watch someone really dominant in that that game and it's it's a beautiful thing to watch and it's uh something that does have a lot of spectator appeal, I think. And more and more, the more people get exposed to jiu-jitsu and, and start to understand the basics of what's going on, like uh, the more people it appeals to. And uh, so you can see what he's done with that rule of trying to make sure as many matches as possible end in submission, trying to make it where where sort of anyone can appreciate it. Which is a good thing for the sport. It might not be my, my favorite rule set as a, as a Jiu-Jitsu purist, but like it's a, it's a great thing in terms of getting eyes onto the sport because you're going to get people watching EBI who are UFC fans that might not go and watch IBJJF Worlds. But then of the people that come across and start watching EBI, some of them are going to go, wow, this Jiu-Jitsu thing's really cool. Maybe they go deeper. Maybe they get into the Gi. Maybe they start watching Polaris or all the other stuff. And it just it's only good.
1: Yeah, it's like that trickle-down ec- yeah, economics. Even even you know.
0: even if you don't like the the event itself, it's only good for the sport.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely... Uh, I guess, too... And, I mean, Flo is a great example of this, like, mm-hmm. with the archives of, of stuff. But, mm-hmm. I mean, that was one thing for me that I just love about jiu-jitsu, especially in this, like, modern time, is that you can be a fan of only jiu-jitsu and, like, fully immerse yourself in, like, a lot of different rule sets, a lot of different events, a lot of different, yeah. uh, you know, gi and no gi. So, it's like... I, I think it can't definitely can't be bad but to you know to have it on ufc fight pass yeah that's a big thing as well it's massive man, because it there, yeah. like how many dudes have ufc fight pass that might not be into jiu-jitsu but they're fucking already watched all the chuck mm-hmm. liddell fights that they can so then they're like let's go see what this ebi shit is it's on the front page it's right yeah. there with everything else so it's like it has to be nothing but good as an overall yeah and do you think that they'll continue to like refine the rules to, to kind of make them better because it is hard right to figure out what does work best and like you said it works good for your game might not work good for your game like so I guess it's it's one of those things where it's this constant yeah. kind of evolution of they
0: it they meaning EBI yeah yeah I mean they'll, they'll probably same as us like if, if their fan base is saying you know we hate this or we want this they're going to listen to them but um I think uh yeah, he already is trying to trying to change things and, and uh give the the what's it called combat jujitsu hmm. stuff a try and, and looking at new ideas and just finding finding new things that people aren't doing yet, which is is what the sport needs.
2: Have you watched any of the combat jujitsu stuff yet? It's only what I've seen on Instagram, just the clips of people slapping them on the asses and the head. So. Fucking like it's a pretty d- brutal, dude.
1: What's his What's that guy's name? Ah, oh, fuck, um. Um, blanking he's the the gnarly Brazilian dude he like TKO'd someone Wagner yeah was it Wagner I think it was Wagner he like fucking legit just got me out and just yeah that like was Wagner beat the fuck out of that yeah. guy and they like cut him open and everything I was like that shit is no <laughs> joke son <laughs> and like you gotta think like a palm strike like yeah. a slap is like a slap But in terms of just a straight fucking palms, right? How do do you feel about it?
0: I think I've only watched one combat jiu-jitsu match. I can't remember what one it was. I think it was uh, when they first introduced the idea. I think I watched one of the EBIs and they had one combat jiu-jitsu super fight. Hmm. Um, I I think it's interesting. Oh, sorry. I keep doing that. But um, yeah, I think it's really interesting. But, um, you know, it's just another thing. It's not quite jujitsu. It's not MMA. Hmm. It is
2: what it is. Do you have an interest in MMA, Ben, or is it something that's um, really crossed your mind? I, I'm
0: interested in it. I, I like watching it. I probably, uh, if I if I'm not just like trying to study jiu-jitsu and I'm just looking for something to watch, I would probably w- rather watch MMA than jujitsu. It's it's more exciting. But um, I I have interest in it. I don't know if I'll compete in it. I'd like to do maybe like one or two fights or something, but not not. Uh, I don't have any like goals of fighting in the UFC or anything okay. like that.
1: Um, fuck, I had a question. Then I forgot it. Um, oh, well, you just said the study thing. Where, what do you think about the whole study element? Because, like, the fucking resources are endless, man. Like, I just signed mm-hmm. up to Keenan's thing, did, like, a month mm-hmm. of, like, going through his shit. And it's, like, there's so much stuff. And it's, like, is it almost overwhelming, do you think? Or is it, Definitely. like, or can it not hurt you, do you Definitely, think? Definitely,
0: and there's so much information out there that it, it can be... Uh, daunting and it can also you can also get led astray like if you're just watching shit on YouTube like cause there's some there's, fucking there's some guys that are like there's stuff on YouTube backyard. that's absolutely brilliant and there's stuff on YouTube that isn't gonna work yeah. like it's just the guy doesn't like he's just well that's that's know. Instagram that's just the internet like yeah. there's good stuff out there but you gotta know where to look um when I if I'm uh, studying Jiu I don't really watch any instructionals or uh anything like that um, what I do watch is a lot of matches, and mm. uh, just if I see something that's interesting or I haven't seen something done that way before, then I might rewind it and watch it over and over again until I sort of figure out, oh, he's like pushing there so that this happens and then he can go that way, and like stuff like that. We actually used to do a class at Absolute uh, on Saturdays before the open mat, it was called a video analysis class, so it wasn't actually a, a, a Class That's pretty right. In the sense of, like, you'd come in, teach a technique, and then try it. But just before OpenMAT, um, Lockheed would just pick a small section of footage from whatever it might be. Like, maybe it's from World Gee, Gi, whatever. But he'd look, oh, this is what's happening. And he'd just sort of explain it and break it down that way. And I think he was doing it more as a tool for himself to, like, always be studying the moves and the techniques like that. But I think it's a lot more beneficial to do it that way and see it, like as it works like in a competition like against some top level competition like the guys if you're watching worlds and you're watching someone do uh, a move that's working really well he's not doing it against some bum he's doing it against Mm. another one of the best grapplers in the world so you know uh, and that's another part of it as well it's not just looking how the technique works it's looking at how the technique worked in that specific example
1: Uh, against a dude that's super high level
0: yeah, and that's what I was talking about before with like problem solving and you need to be able to make that read of like if I'm passing this way he keeps doing this so I know when he can push here I can start go I need to do the other side or I'm just sort of speaking generally but hmm. whatever the example is uh, that's that's the sort of stuff that I do I do try and force myself to watch uh, as much as much sort of footage as I can
2: It can be confusing I guess as a white belt with where to start looking you know what I mean Yeah, but I think
0: I think it's more important to do that when you get to the higher level. So I think as a white belt or a blue belt or whatever, you go into a gym, um, anyone can like help you. Like you, you can talk to a purple belt and he might not know everything, but he knows enough to teach you like more than you to know. Get to like so a yeah, really you can, level, yeah. you get to, you get to a, a point and then you might start to, um, run out of things to learn. Like, or, or you, you, you're struggling to find new information from your training partners and coaches. And that's when it's important to go out and make sure you're, you're finding as much information as you can online. If you're, especially if you're someone uh, like, like us over here in Australia, trying to compete with, you know, like, like Craig, for example, I know Craig studies a whole, like more, more footage than me, definitely. But um, he's obsessed with it. He, he, he watches a lot of, lot of studies, a lot of video but I think it's more important if you're like that where you're somewhere isolated like Australia where you're not getting all those influences from different world champions. You don't have John Danaher teaching you how to do this stuff. It's, it's very important then that you're going out and getting the information and looking, not just looking at it and not just trying to look at it and copy it, but looking at it, copy it, uh, understand it, and then develop it.
1: it. Makes a lot of sense. Righto, man. Well, it's been uh, nearly two hours. Flew and by. I've really enjoyed talking to you, man. It was rad to put this together. Sure. And the yeah, it's, it's,
0: random, random that it came together, but I'm uh, <laughs> glad, glad it did. Awesome to be here, guys. No, I'm
1: stoked, and uh, yeah, I guess that's like our first little grappling jiu-jitsu podcast. And nice. I, I feel underqualified to talk about jiu-jitsu, but that's oh, why I got, don't worry. That's why I got my my man <laughs> I don't Shane. Know.
0: When when are you ever qualified yes. to talk about jiu-jitsu?
1: <laughs> but I definitely fucking love it. And, um, and it's cool and I, I mean I don't think there's I mean there's definitely like some podcasts and stuff out there but maybe yeah. not a lot of Aussie stuff so yeah. cool to like give guys like yourself a bit of a platform and to you know talk in yeah. depth about the thing that you know the things that have kind of got you fired up in the whole jiu-jitsu grappling world so yeah, and um, we'll put this out today so oh, for nice. anyone in Brizzy that wants to well I know there's a bunch of Gypsy yeah if you if you've never Brizzy. heard
0: of the uh, of grappling industries come down tomorrow check it out it's um it's there's there's uh, the super fight that i mentioned but there's some black belts competing as well there's going to be a lot of high level high level grappling on display but uh, also we got sydney coming up on the 21st of july melbourne coming up on the uh, 29th of july and then we've got a whole another set at the end of the year again in october we got brisbane sydney adelaide and, and uh, melbourne so keep an eye out for us we're always we're always uh, announcing new dates just grapplingindustries.com
1: Yes. An eye on it. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah, I was going to say throw the website out there and uh, follow my man Shane Young 100. Yeah, Instagram. Yep. That's where yeah. you can find. That's where, that's where that's where. Yeah, it's just 100, right? Shane yeah. Young 100. That's correct. Follow sure. your boy. Um, yes, right, and yeah, thanks everyone for listening. As uh, as, as usual. Oh yeah, <laughs> what a great! I name. meant to say, what is the what's the fucking what's oh, the story behind know? that?
0: I mean, it is. It almost doesn't make sense now because I got my black belt. But uh, sandbagger is like a term uh, people use in jiu-jitsu to throw out uh, if you're if someone you're a three year white belt. And you yeah, just win if, you're, if you're hold, yeah. if you're intentionally holding yourself down because you know you can win like whatever competition at that. Like if you're a purple belt and your coach wants to give you a brown belt and you're like, no, 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 let me keep my purple belt because I want to go win worlds of purple. Like that's that's what a sandbagger would be. So, but it kinda doesn't get used that way. What it get used as is like, anytime someone gets beaten in a comp and they're salty and they're like, oh, that guy's just sandbag or it, like, I don't know, it's bitch assness, people use it. And uh, same thing with the word Crianche. Creante is like, uh, a, I think it's a Brazilian thing, but you hear it, you hear everyone use it. It's just, it, it means trader basically. So if you start training at one gym and then you go train at another gym, uh, you, you get labeled as a Crianche. But same sort of thing. It's it's just calling myself that tongue in cheek because it's it's another one of those words. It doesn't really mean anything. Like if you're training somewhere and you don't like it and you want to go train somewhere else, go train somewhere else, man. You're you're a grown man. You can do whatever you want. Um, but yeah, it's just sandbagger and creonte are
1: they're both like the things worst things. Yeah, called they get thrown to, out yeah. there as
0: like this guy. But man, it's just normal. It's, so you're doing the eight stuff. mile. I've been I've definitely been called both. So I um I called myself sandbagging creonte when I. I made an Instagram account and people seem to find that funny. It's a great So I've kept name. it. Great. Yeah, well, so, um,
1: you're, doing the, you're doing the eight mile thing. Yeah, I
0: think I've got to find something else now because <laughs> uh, I don't know if you can sandbag a black belt. Like, well, like what, are you, what are you holding yourself down from? There's no next belt. Yeah, true. So maybe I've got to find something else. Sweet. So hit, man. hit me up with suggestions. <laughs>
1: no drivers. Well, yeah, I've enjoyed it, man. It's been rad yeah, to uh, awesome. talk to you too. And thanks, uh, thanks for coming in, making it happen. Thanks to you time, uh, guys. Thanks, well, guys. Lovely co host the, um, the Shane Young Grappling Podcast. Okay. All right, <laughs> uh, I'll talk to you soon. See ya. Nice.